I'm not saying you have to love football. We all have different likes and dislikes, people. Personally, I'm not a fan of the avocado. I just don't like the mouth feel. But, but if you're someone who loves football, I mean, truly loves it well, my sportsbook app might be the greatest thing that has ever happened to you. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call, text, or chat on confidential and toll-free helpline at 1-888-532-3500. Podeskew Podcast is a proud member of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. The Potaskew Podcast. I am CJ, and with me, as always, is my head world life mate Rico. What's up, man? What's up, guys? Uh, dude, we got a pretty cool guest coming on tonight. I know we we finally got Frank Sinatra's ghost. I'm so happy. I've been waiting for years to talk to him and and have him, uh, you know, tell me how good of a follower I've been. Right, Frank Sinatra's ghost. Yeah. Well, if that's the case, then I'm out of here. I'll talk to you next week. But um. <laughs> That's all right. We don't need you. We'll just crew together. And... Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, no, it all it'll serves. be the first time someone actually blew a supernatural ghost. Uh, it'll be interesting to watch you blow Frank Sinatra. Um, through Skype, no less. <laughs> through Skype, yeah. No, we through the conversation with uh, OC from last week we about the documentary, we were able to get the man who shot the documentary, uh, Mike Mays, joining us. That's right. May the force be with us. Oh dear God. Um, but yeah, he he's coming on, so I'm sure we'll talk more a little more about the documentary. But it'll be interesting to hear from the other side. Nothing against OC or his version of it, but I'd like to hear you know from the documentarian side of it, and then yeah, the, the technical aspects. Not just that, but what where his inspiration came from. What what because like we've looked at his IMDb, and as far as I can tell, this is the only doc he's got on his resume. So. Right what inspired him to finally do a documentary or at least one that's maybe going to get a credit on IMDb, you know? Right. So, um, so be curious to talk to him about all those things. And then he's shot on a ton of stuff. So it'd be real fun to talk to him about some of those experiences as well. So, um, absolutely, it'll be, it'll be a good conversation. So we'll have Mike on in a little bit and we'll be ready to go. All right. So Mike may director, creator producer of the octopus caveman documentaries with us how you doing mike good good guys thank you so much for having me really oh, appreciate it no thank you first uh, there's, there's a lot of things that i personally want to thank you for number one obviously just coming on the show with us but also for spotlighting our friend because um we've known oc and i and he said we can call him oc so we i can't call him by his first name it's not a thing it's just yeah. it's weird for sure um but, you know, we've known OC for a minute now, and he's been a great friend. He's been on a couple of episodes prior to the documentary. So it's it's good to see a guy that we know to be very talented get this much love and, and, and exposure. So we're very happy about that. So thank you, uh, I think, on both our behalves for that. Right, Rico? Yeah, well, it, it, yeah absolutely. It's, it's the good kind of exposure that OC needs, not, not whatever else he gets exposed to. <laughs> yeah. I agree. I absolutely agree. Um, so... 
Look, man, we're looking at your IMDb, and there's so much that we could talk to you about, but we probably should start with the documentary. And so what... What inspired you to like? I mean, we we saw the we've seen the documentary, or at least the portion that's up on on YouTube. So we are both conscious of what you talked about, how you got, came across the tweet. But what made you, even after reading that, say, you know what, I need to like shoot this? Like, what what took you to that level? Uh, you know, obviously, unfortunately, I've been suspended from Twitter for something that I said that didn't seem like something that would be a suspendable offense, but. Oh, uh, you and me both, brother. Oh, good. I'm glad I'm not the Lone Ranger. But what happened was, uh, you know, I was on it, and I used to do the TV show Orville, mm-hmm. and someone that had followed me uh, because of Orville uh, had had a connection to OC. And so I saw the tweet of Anthony saying that he, um, you know, was depressed and he was going to give his paintings away. And I was like, wow, that's a, that's a really, you know, it was a very heavy tweet. Sure. And, um, so, you know, like you do when you like whether you're no matter what social media place you go, specific specifically on Twitter, you tend to do a lot of deep dive on mm-hmm. what people's responses were. So I, I I saw his paintings and I thought, wow, these paintings are really cool, man. This guy, you know, and, and selfishly, at, at first I was like, Wow, I'd really like to have one, you know. Um, you know, you're gonna come to the valley, you know, I live in LA here. And and then I thought to myself, what the fuck, what is wrong with you? <laughs> you know, that's that's like that's like so shallow and you know i've been through my depression you know i've lost my mom and my dad um i went through a really bad divorce which anthony had too yeah when mm-hmm. we started conversing we had a lot in common in, in a lot of respects and because of that um I, I felt where he was coming from from the d- depression element so i had sent him a text or a tweet and they said you know i get it man look your work's really cool you know obviously a lot of people think you're fantastic you know please don't do anything stupid and and um, and then as I started to think about it, I thought, you know, what a great story. This guy's giving his paintings away. Um, and he's, he was thinking about committing suicide, but he didn't want his paintings to end up in the trash because obviously there's the emotional connection and, and the effort that it took to, to paint them. And, and, you know, anybody that's an artist, you know, you know, and I'm a, I'm a filmmaker and, you know, things that I do, I can look at stuff that I do. I can be changing the channels and see something that I did come up. And remember the exact moment that I shot it. Sure. And remember the elements surrounding it, the weather, uh, the people that were with me, and, and all these these nuances. And so that being said, I know I knew from looking at Anthony's stuff um, and seeing what he had written about him that he probably felt the same way. So I just thought it was a great story um, to tell. And I wasn't doing anything. I was in a lull. I wasn't working. And um, so – I didn't know how, what, or why. I've done documentaries before for other people. I'd never done one myself from start to finish. And um, so I sent him a, a DM and I said, hey, man, your work is really cool. And, and you know, he, the guy that just died recently, Christo, uh, there was a, he was an artist that, that did these amazing big uh, sort of art events. And uh, I don't know how much you're familiar with them, but one of them that he did was here in L.A., um, when you leave uh, – the town that I'm in, Santa Clarita, uh, and you go up, it's called the Grapevine. Christo had put these umbrellas up, these yellow umbrellas dotting along the highway, the five, the Golden State Freeway, heading towards Bakersfield. And it was basically this art exhibition. It was this, you know, big thing. And I, I, I kind of equated it to that, the fact that he was putting his paintings around the city, but yet people had this opportunity to actually get them mm-hmm. and, and, and hold on to them. 
And I thought it was such a, a generous thing. And the, the sort of byproduct was seeing how people were just all over it. You know, like people were driving from, you know, 100 miles away to get these paintings. And it became this sort of treasure hunt thing. And, and so that being said, when I finally sent him a message, I said, I think what you're doing is like equal to like what Christo has done. And but people are you know, going to get these paintings. And what do you think about doing a documentary about it? And, uh, you know, and I didn't really like I didn't have a plan in terms of what I thought the documentary would be. But let me talk to him first about it. So he got back to me right away and said, yeah, let's do it. And I said, cool, well, give me a call. And so he called me the next day. And, um, you know, Anthony, and I joke about it. OC and I joke about it. Like, you know, if he was some kind of a douchebag, you know, uh, sort of pretentious guy, I probably wouldn't have gotten involved because I got enough of that in my career as a you know, professional <laughs> filmmaker. Um, and likewise with me, you know, he thought that if I was some, you know, jackass, pretentious, you know, oh, I'm a filmmaker, you know, whatever. Uh, but it turns out we neither of us weren't, at least I don't think so, my, my part. And we had a lot in common in music and what we liked. I play guitar. He plays guitar, you know, among other instruments, you know, piano and stuff. So, sure. so I went down to his house uh, and he lives, like I said, in this, this uh, trailer park in Garden Grove, which yeah. is really, it's, it's, it's an interesting part of town because it's, it's kind of on the outskirts of Orange County and, and right between Orange County and LA. And, and it's a trailer park. It's a very humble place, but it's nice and it's clean. And so I drove down there and I just was going to meet with him and chat, but literally he oc is such a um he speaks so eloquently yeah and he he hits these notes on things that are so um so deep and i was just there with my iphone that thankfully shoots you know 1080 um hd so i said as he started talking i said wait a minute man. i said look i gotta tell you this stuff that you're saying is so amazing and it's so organic right now which is a word i hate to use but it fits um i said i'm just gonna start rolling and I literally shot like five hours of footage on our first day of hanging out together, which, you know, included us drinking a few beers together and some other things. And um, he was so he just opened up and everything that he talked about, you know, every little element that he talked about, you could see it in the movie. Yeah. He always, you know, buttoned each little element with this really uh, great sort of button. You know, and it was like he could be like the thing that always struck me every time I see the film is when he talks about death and how death is like a snowflake and it affects everyone differently. But it's very singular to you, which Mm -hmm. I know all too well. And I just thought, fuck, this guy's fucking brilliant, man. So, as I said, we just we shot all that stuff that first day and uh, which essentially documented his whole life and everything. And he was more than generous and, and really expressing so much of his whole life um that was heartbreaking as i said on, mm. on many levels you know with being a, a kid in a, a kid in a foster home child in a foster home and uh and you know he kind of glazed over his divorce it was something that he didn't really want to get into and, and offend anybody which i said yeah that's cool but as we went on we decided to well, let's go out and leave paintings around the city and see who gets them and you know then i would you know bum rush them and and see what the right. response was yeah. to the painting and as you can see, it was, it was so, it was so organic and it was so, there was no plan. And what was so beautiful about it was how everyone that found a painting, um, they, they treasured it and they, they knew about it. And it was something that was so special to them and nobody got it and was like, ah, I really didn't like it. So everybody that got a painting was like, wow, this is the one that I wanted, or this one meant a lot to me. And, and just the journey of everyone that went out to get the paintings 
those are stories in themselves. And and that's what created the documentary and that's what made it so beautiful. Well, so- I, got, I got to tell you, being bum rushed with, with OC was a whole lot more different with me when I was in the room with him. <laughs> oh, really? Um- well, yeah. That's a whole other story. That is a whole other story. You've brought up a couple things immediately, Mike, that make me want to talk about. And and the first one you you mentioned, Christo, um, the the irony, if you will, is so the the interview we did with OC about this is being released in like seven hours. It's done. It's ready mm-hmm. to go. It's just waiting till our normal release time. And while we were interviewing him is when I got the alert that Christo died on CNN. So it was really, it's really interesting to use that comparison. And it's not wrong, but it's an interesting comparison for you to choose because I got that alert during the interview with him. So it's, it's all interesting. And then the other thing, um, that I, you talked about. He, he glossed over the divorce a little bit, and but he shared this on the episode too, and it's, it's something I thought you would find interesting. I'm about the the thing with the ring, Rico. Do you remember him telling us last week? Yeah, I, I know the, about the ring. Yeah. Oh, you know about his. Yeah. Okay. Yo, he shared that story with us on the air last week, so that mm-hmm. was just crazy that that right where that painting was. But anyway. Yeah. In, um, in all honesty, there's a lot of the OC uh, conversation that I just kind of forgot because Oh, it went I'm all sure over the place. <laughs> we we all know, like, having a conversation with OC is deep, it's meaningful, it's poignant, it's funny, and at the same time you're like, words are just leaping our fucking faces and we're like, right. wait, what the fuck did I say? And, and right. a lot of it is is on him because he 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 relaxes everybody because mm-hmm. he's quote unquote outrageous, but he's really not that outrageous. But he's honest in every aspect of his life. He's honest. Totally. So when he says, I mean, there's a there's a bit where he tells us a story about how he has a farting penis or he had a farting penis. <laughs> it was a rather funny story, and and it went on for like. 20 minutes of us discussing about his farting penis. Um, it was it was the rosebud of fucking pot askew. We just kept <laughs> referencing it. And and so once that came out, then it was like it was not even really a competition. It's just like let's just try and be as on as OC. At least for my at least for me. I mean, CJ yeah. and I have a very kind of well understanding thing where it's like he's He's the director, the technical aspect of this, and I'm the angry fucking Lou Costello. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and, and and you're right, but he's right. OC, like you said, Mike, speaks so eloquently that it makes you want to bring your game up. So, yeah, it was a good thing. Um, you mentioned you shot the first couple hours on your iPhone. It, did that end up being your primary shooting source, or did... It, it did, and I also used uh, a, a Canon, uh, or was it Panasonic? I can't remember which one. It's a Vixia, which is a high-definition camera. Um, it's sort of a, you know, I don't even know if prosumer is the right word to use. Mm. But it shot 1080, and it has a longer lens, so it enabled me to get some shots. Because I really wanted to do, look, in a perfect world, I'd be shooting them with, you know, Airflex Alexas and things like that. Right. And, you know, lenses from Panavision and things like that. But, you know, it was so spontaneous, um, you know, that I, I didn't really have a chance. And I didn't want to, you know, the thing is, when you show up in like public places with a camera and a big lens and stuff, it, you know, all of a sudden it kind of takes you out of, of everything. And, and as I said, I mean, iPhones that can shoot 1080, I was just like, all right, fuck it, I'll just do it on this. And, yeah. And, and funny enough, and not having a sound crew, um, the sound get on, on iPhones is actually uh, quite amazing. And, 
you know, so whatever I needed help with sound wise, you know, I cut it on final, uh, final cut, final cut 10 and whatever sound wise, I was able to pull up the sound quite a bit. I mean, final cut 10, I was obviously able. I'm not saying you have to love football. We all have different likes and dislikes people. Personally, I'm not a fan of the avocado. I just don't like the mouthfeel. But, but if you're someone who loves football, I mean, truly loves it well, my sportsbook app might be the greatest thing that has ever happened to you. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call, text, or chat on confidential and toll-free helpline at 1-888-532-3500. I haven't really woken up oh, until I've had my McDonald's breakfast deal. And I know this is true because before breakfast, I put my phone in the refrigerator and couldn't find the keys that were already in my hand. Nothing gets the morning going like the first sip of an iced coffee. Get any size and any flavor for 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. McDonald's. I'm loving it. To edit it, I did some colored, you know, fixing and some of it's not, it's not as polished as I want it to be. But it's it's so it's so spontaneously original that I like it for that. Yeah, but that, that that rawness, Mike, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that rawness actually okay. gives it more of a touch too. Like you almost because sometimes I watch a documentary and, and I still enjoy the subject matter and what's being discussed and I learn things and whatever, but you feel disconnected. I I felt yeah. like with this, you felt like you were definitely on the journey with both of you guys, and that came, I think, from the using the iPhone and, and not having the long big lens in the fancy camera, you know? So I think that actually plays to the documentary working as well as it does. If that it, makes I sense. Agree. If I can add, it, it's kind of like gonzo filmmaking. If, yeah, if, Hunt, sure. if Hunter, if Hunter S. Thompson would make a documentary, he would do it about OC and he would also be doing more than OC. So yeah. I, I kind of felt like it was that aspect of, because gonzo journalism, as much as it's a tribute to Hunter S. Thompson and we think of it as just doing drugs, it's right. just putting your, instead of writing about the story, you are becoming inside the story. So yeah. that's sort of what you did was I could film this guy and just not say anything, or I could be a part of it. You are, you're not just a documentarian for this movie. You're the second cast member. I you agree. are the second lead. Yeah. You know, you, you were just as integral of getting this, uh, of ultimately let's, let's really be honest, helping OC kind of deal with his depression. That's really what this movie is about. It's, yeah. a, it's, 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 it's his art is one thing and he's a great guy, but it's all about a social awareness of how depression can be fucking awful. Because yeah. he is a very jovial, eloquent guy. And then there's that scene towards the end where he had a great fucking day. He said, this is one of the best days of my life. Or this is the best day of my yeah. life. And then he fucking just, I mean, with alcohol. I mean, that's that's the other underlying surface of, of and, anxiety and depression. And some of the so. stuff that happened on Twitter, because he shared that with us too. There were some things that didn't make the documentary that occurred right. that day also on Twitter that he shared with us. But yeah, he goes from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows in what looked to be a num matter of hours, you know, so. Yeah, well, you know, and I've talked to him about this because uh, obviously – in the midst of it, you know, when you get the, you know, look, everyone's like a keyboard warrior now where they can hide behind their computer and sure. talk shit and, you know, say things that they, they would never say to you in person. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a 
I'm six feet and 230 pounds and I've gotten a lot of fights in my time. Um, uh, not that I want to do that now at my age or anything, <laughs> but people certainly think twice about saying things to you when you have a physical stature that's, uh, intimidating needless to say. And Anthony's a very unintimidating guy. Um, yeah, yeah. but he's, he's visceral and when he wants to be and, and be, you know, he can cut to the cord. But he's also extremely sensitive. And so there was a couple of people that said some stuff. And, and frankly, you know, again, back to the movie was the fact that, uh, you know, some gallery owner told him his art wasn't good enough to be in a gallery, which uh, was right. It was his motivation. He used it yeah. to motivate himself. And, and frankly, his art was much better in these latter years than those original pieces that he was trying to get in a gallery. So you know, uh, you know, it's that thing in life where you use things to motivate you, even if they hurt you, you know, and, and he did that. And, um, you know, again, with him specifically in terms of, of where he was at mentally and, um, you know, I was very I didn't know him. So I was trying to be as delicate as I could sure, right. with uh, with getting this stuff out of him. And, and the thing that was so beautiful about him was that even I didn't have to be delicate. But in being delicate and and really having a genuine friendship with him, it just made him so much more open and so much more. Uh, I mean, just he shared things that were just like I said, he, he was so profound and so prophetic on so many things that I just thought, fuck, this guy's fucking amazing, man. Yeah. Oh, you for know? sure. And and when he did have the breakdown, um, you know, it's it, you know, it was, it was like 11 o'clock and I was sitting here watching the news and, and all of a sudden he called and he, you know, he'll call me at 11 o'clock at night. You know, I'm a night owl, especially now with all this shit. And, uh, you know, I'm like, Hey dude, what's up? And he's like, I'm fucking, and he was going off. And I was like, Oh, fuck me. I go, all right. And I'm thankful my daughter was sitting nearby since we didn't roll on this. And, um, she rolled, you know, everyone's got their phone with them. And, uh, you know, it, it was, it's just, the thing I can't get over with it, this project is, is just how it just spontaneously all fit together. Yeah. Even though there's a linear element to it, um, it all it all worked linearly. If that's a word, linearly um, works for you know, us. And, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I raced down to his house. I mean, he lives. You know, it's not that it's not like it's close where he lives. And I was fucking flying down the 405, getting to his neighborhood, and I had my son with me at that point. Right. And I said, look, man, just roll when we get when we get into the, uh, the the you know mobile home place, just start rolling. And sure enough, I fucking pull up and he's burning the painting right there. I go, oh, fuck me. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've told him, you know, please don't do that. People right. love your work. Right. You know, people people love your work, you know, and I think um, it's I think it's important to add that as you watch the documentary, it does kind of because it is linear in the sense that. It, it's not even so much a documentary. It's it's sort of a film with a plot of there's this guy who's depressed. He's working on his depression. Everything's good, and then it's sad. You have every movie has to have a depressing part right. to overcome. You know they have to have the big bad that they sure. overcome. So in in retrospect, it, it's when I was watching it the first because I've seen it uh, I've seen it once all the way through, and then I was watching clips of it later. It, it almost does kind of seem, and this is not an insult in any way. I know it's not true. It almost kind of seemed a little planned in that aspect. I know. And I, I like, that's one of the things that I, when I, I go, fuck, this thing is like, 
It's it's, it's exactly a story arc because I'm a writer. I've written a bunch right. of scripts that have been greenlit and redlit, and you know that is your that is your path as a writer is to create that arc and to have that place during the story where right. things fall apart and then there's a reconciliation. Right. And um, and I I I. I I don't even know what to say, man. It well, I know I, I'm sure like on your end, it's probably like a really mixed fucking message because you're like, as a friend and as someone who cares about OC, you're like, I really don't want him to be burning his paintings and to be an asshole to himself. I want him to overcome this because I give a fuck. But at the right. same time, you're like, this is some really good footage. This is going to be great. It's for gold footage. Doc. Yeah. Well, yeah. let me tell you that this is a, uh, this is a true story about the end of the film also is the fact that we had a completely separate ending in mind, which mm-hmm. was, um, I wanted, you know, I had, you know, because I'm a camera guy, you know, in my sort of basic, uh, sort of filmmaking way. And I think of shots and I think of, you know, I mean, I've done so many majestic shots, you know, whether the end of the film or the beginning of the film. So my idea for the end of the film was him putting uh, a painting out somewhere, um, similar to what happens in the film at the very end, when he goes back to Huntington beach to leave that film, we, him sitting on the park bench. But what I was going to do was have him put a painting down somewhere and push him tight on the painting and hold it and then pull back out. And the paintings in a gallery and all the people that got paintings had the paintings in the gallery. That, would that be, was my vision yeah. for the end of the film. But this spontaneous moment happened and uh, you know, it just became what it became. And I never really, I wanted to incorporate the picture of him and his dad somehow that was um, because beautiful. it's a very powerful moment. Yeah. And as it turned out, um, that's what he called me. He goes, Hey man, I, I got one more painting. I'm going to give away. I said, okay, well, where do you want to do it? He goes, well, I'm going to do it at the museum of uh, natural history where my dad took me. I was like, all right. And I, I didn't know his dad was going to be there. Um, I didn't know that's what he had as an idea. And it's such a powerful moment that when I see it, even now, and I've seen it, obviously I cut the fuck. <laughs> I see it now and I still cry. Sure. Yeah. Because yeah. what is the most powerful element as a human being is, you know, a relationship with a parent that you loved and, and talking to his father, I had more of an interview with his father about Anthony that I only used a little bit, but twofold, his dad had a great description of who Anthony was as a child and, and the man that he turned into, but also say, he said it to me off camera. Um, he goes, thank you for saving my son's life. And, um, there was a very, for me personally, that, that particular part of the film means a lot. Because yeah. I, not that I want to take responsibility for saving Anthony's life, because I think Anthony saved his own life, and maybe I helped. But um, you know, it, it, it's just a really great moment because you know you look back to your childhood and and what it, you know. I, I honestly say a lot that I think in everybody's life you get to a point where you're about eleven or twelve years old and you have nothing but great times. And by the time you hit twelve, you know, I always think of Jim Morrison. There's an album called American Prayer by the Doors that they did after Jim Morrison died that was all his poetry. And there's a line in that album that I'll never forget. And he says, I'll never wake up in a good mood again. Mm -hmm. And I feel like by the time you get to be 12 years old, you never wake up in a good mood again, (laughs) you know? And in that regard, uh, here was Anthony with his father and yeah, he had a rough time, but he had this really uh, beautiful time with his father. And that, that particular moment, if you think about, being in a, an orphanage or being, you know, with foster parents and the man that your father, you didn't know comes to get you and you become 
you know, there might there might have been some molestation on Anthony's from on Anthony from those families. We don't know, and mm-hmm. he didn't dive into it. But certainly, the notion of sticking a thermometer up his ass rather than sticking it in his mouth after being with a family that did that prior to the one that stuck it up his ass, you know, you don't know. And, yeah. um, you know, so I just, it was just very powerful to me. And I'm so glad that, that that's the way it happened. And I was able to incorporate it. And, and when I did cut that scene together, I, I wanted it to be so specific in the moment because, you know, as an audience, you look at it when they walk away and it, I, I think that you feel it's telegraphed. They're going to, you know, hold hands like the picture, but I wanted them to just kind of like, just be arms around each other. Like, you know, funny here we are and then they jokingly hold hands and then you dissolve to that picture where they're holding hands and it, it, i think it's just really powerful that's just my well, without know, question it's, yeah without question it's powerful no doubt about it um shit i don't <laughs> i don't really know where to go rico usually i'd steer this ship but damn um it, just let the waves take us buddy. i'm trying so, i'm trying let, let me just throw you this anecdotal element please first. Yeah. So that song that I that is at the end, I sang that song, and um, my good friend Byron Gaither, who's an amazing uh, keyboard player and producer and stuff, he played the piano on it, and I wanted to, I, I I wanted to write a song that um, encapsulated similarly the video in the beginning. To digress for a moment, the video in the beginning that Anthony did is really a, a microcosm. Of the whole movie. Yeah. You know, yeah. because it's everything about him. It's funny. It's sad. It's heartbreaking. It's heart wrenching. Um, it's everything. And that's why I chose to use it because of that. Um, and so that being said, the song at the end, it had to be very specific to everything. I didn't want it to be cheesy. And I, I look back and I go, fuck, why? You know, I had a couple friends of mine sing the song. I wanted them to sing it rather than me. And unfortunately, my friends were, they're fucking like, they started changing the words and changing sort of the enunciation of the, the lyrics at different points. And I said, no, 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 it has to be specifically like this because it's so, uh, it, it's so specific sure. to him and, and to the story and it fits. And, um, as much as I don't really like hearing myself sing, I'm okay with it. You know, it works and Anthony loves it. So, you know, well, yeah, and it, and it definitely does work. And that's, and that's one of the things about him that I, I know, and I, Rico, I think I can speak for you, but please chime in that we appreciate about him is he, while he's this great artist and great musician, because he is, and you said it yourself, you've, you've documented it, we, we acknowledge it, we love his work. He doesn't hold himself higher than anyone else. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's, right. he's never, yeah. he could make, he could quit his job tomorrow and be making all the money in the world from his paintings, and I still don't think he would hold himself there. Do you know what nope. I mean? And that's not that's not meant as a commentary on his depression as much as just he he's that humble, you know. And it's a very punk rock sort of mindset yeah. in many ways. Yeah. Where, you know, you just don't give a fuck, but this is what it is and this is what I'm giving. Yeah. No, it's exactly it. But I mean, but it also makes him accessible to, you know, the people that, that do love him and do care about him, you know what I mean? And 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 makes his paintings accessible. I love every piece. I told him this last week during the interview. I said I loved every piece that you shot. Like, every piece that made the footage, I love. I would have loved to have any of them, you know what I mean? And 
and I have one. Rico, so Rico mentioned that he's hung out with them, and he's hung out with them once. They they spent they hijacked Podeskew actually and recorded an episode without me and didn't tell me until after it was done. Um, and it came <laughs> out wonderful, and I do recommend you go check it out if you want because it's him and yeah, him and OC for hours just rambling about nonsense, but in the best way. It sounds really fun. Um, go ahead, well, Rico. The, honestly, the the best part was so yeah. You know, I live in California like you live in California, but I'm in I'm right. in the Bay Area. So mm-hmm. I'm that type of person that, yes, I would have loved to have gotten and participated in the scavenger hunt. But I'm kind of thinking to myself, like, fuck, eight hours for a goddamn painting, and, even though I love the guy. And for the record, I called Rico the minute I saw the tweet. Not the one, I didn't, not the one about the suicide, but when he was a little bit happier and was like, I'm still doing right. this and like, go get him. I called Rico immediately. I was like, get your ass on the PCH and get down there and grab one of these fucking things. Calling all partners. Losing weight is better together with Nutrisystem's partner plan. In fact, people who diet together lose 20% more weight than dieting on their own. Get new premium meals with up to 30 grams of protein. They're big and filling and taste delicious. Plus, try our new restaurant faves that taste like your favorite restaurant portioned with half the calories. Don't wait. You could win big cash during Nutrisystem's better together partner plan 100k giveaway and maybe win the grand prize of $25,000. Just go to nutrisystem.com/thin right now and get 50% off plus an extra $50 off your first month. You heard me right. Go to nutrisystem.com/thin right now and get 50% off plus an extra $50 off. Don't wait. This partner plan offer will not last long. Just go to nutrisystem.com/thin right now and get 50% off plus an extra $50 off. Go to nutrisystem.com/thin. For details on our two-month subscription offer. No purchase necessary. Open only to U.S. residents over 21. Void where prohibited. Runs December 25 through April 4th, 2022. For official rules, visit Nutrisystem.com. Sponsored by Nutrisystem, Inc. If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. The holidays are over. The new year is here. And the time to act is now. Expert private care at Recovery Centers of America will get you on the road to recovery today. At our award-winning and fully accredited treatment centers on the Eastern Shore and in Southern Maryland, you will be treated with compassion, dignity, and respect by our dedicated team of professionals. You will also benefit from specialized programs, 24-hour medical care, and the comfort of our outstanding facilities. Let us help you. We will answer your call 24-7 and can get you into treatment as soon as today. If outpatient care is right for you, you can receive a same-day assessment and attend therapy in person or virtually. And because we accept most private insurance plans, you get premium care without the premium price. Don't wait. Start your new year. Start your new life today. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. Right. And ultimately, he he didn't do it, but... Well, what happened was uh, OC, uh, I think he posted or he hit me up. I can't remember which, which, which was, which he said, um, that he was going to be in San Jose, which is like 40 minutes from me. Right. And I said, holy shit, can you come? And even then I was trying to get him to come to me. I was like, Hey, I'm only 40 minutes from there. Right. Lazy shit. To Oakland. I know. I was like, well, at the time, I don't think you think I had like a, well, I had a car, but it was kind of. Yeah. Shit. I so remember. Like, yeah, yeah. So I was kind of like. <laughs> I can get there. I don't know if I'm able to get back. Um, so ultimately, he's like, I can't. I got I got business shit, blah, 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 blah. And this is the day after the infamous canned wine. So do you know? Do you remember? Do you know about that? No. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> in, in San Jose, he like was looking for booze. And the only place that was really open was the 
the, uh, the gift, gift shop, shop at the hotel at he was hotel. staying at. Oh, funny. And he like saw that they had canned wine, and he and it was like twenty dollars a pop. And he bought and he, three of them. And he bought three of them, and they were like they packed quite a punch, as he put it. And so I saw this video of him just getting shit faced <laughs> on wine from a can. And and so the next day I was like, I see you're in San Jose. Like, what's gonna? Do you want to meet up? And I was asking, like, if he was even coherent, because the way he described the canned wine, it was like, you're lucky that you're alive. Right. And so I, I drove out there with my girlfriend and met him. And then and that was the first time I met him in person, because like right. we've said, we've had him on the show. And all this was under the surface trying to, like, not fuck over CJ, but kind of like, this is going <laughs> to really like we're going to do a secret episode. And I even had OC do our opening. And funny. The, the funny thing is, is that OC has been on and then I've called him my nemesis. So we were like, we've called each other the other person's nemesis. Jokingly, from time to time. just to Jokingly. be fair. Yeah, yeah. I got you. And then now we're like fucking very close friends. And so then we record this really long. And if, since it's OC, it's going to be all over the place. We talk about Hitler. We talk about fucking, we talk about, <laughs> talk about specifically like Hitler jerking off. He's like, I wonder what hand... <laughs> Hitler used to jerk He did, off. yeah. And, like, and there was another discussion about Tarantino's love of the N-word that lasted like right. 30 minutes. Yeah, like it, it just went all right. over the place. But it, it was really a, a fun episode, and like Rico said. But the other thing that – and to bring it back to what we're – you know, the purpose of today's conversation is he took Rico two of those paintings – and, and well, he had a, he had a trunk of them. He had a, he had yeah, but a, what? Yeah, but he he had the he, paintings and and gave two of them to Rico, one to send to me and one for him to keep. So I the, might it was it was totally worth the blowjob that I gave him, but not the <laughs> reach, but not the reach around that he gave me. You know, he, he's got well, he's calluses. Doing the Hitler sign, the high Hitler sign. At the same no, time. he he's got calluses on his hand. He didn't All right. Like, anyway, the the important the important part though is that um, and so uh, two things. One, I might have the only original Octopus Caveman movie or a painting, excuse me, on the East Coast, like an actual painting. He did a thing with some prints. I don't know if you know that. Did he gave away, he sold for charity. Well, yeah, no, the uh, the love bot. Yeah, uh, yeah. My girlfriend bought one, and a lot of people bought them. It's, it's such a great painting. And, and frankly, I love the red version of the love bot. If you I do, too. That. Yeah. It's, I, yeah. It's, uh, they're just, they're just, they're just, it's, 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 paintings just jump out at you. Oh, for sure. Know? For sure. And, and I actually I loved about them. I, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, Mike, but I, like right. when we met OC like 18 months ago, two years ago, it's been a minute. We've known him for a while now. He was still selling the paintings. This was long before he got the idea to give them away. Right. And I right. actually contacted him. I mean, we were already communicating, but like I reached out to him one night about because I was on Instagram looking at his paintings and I was like, I want the love robot. And he quoted me a price that was fair and reasonable. I just couldn't personally afford it. So right. I had to pass, but like I've wanted that painting since the first time I laid eyes on it, you know? Right. So, and then all his other ones, but then he, he take Rico takes the two paintings and he sends me one. But one of the paintings that Rico took is in your movie. Both of Which actually, was it? CJ, yours is too, but it's, I, it's not, it's jolly. It's really brief. It's not featured. I didn't, I yeah. didn't see it. I believe Which you if it's there, it? but I didn't see it. 
Rico's this, got. Oh, you got the hostage. Oh, yeah, that's fucking great. So that's here, one of my all-time favorites. So it's mine. So the funny thing is, is that more than once, OC comments like, yeah. "No one's gonna want this fucking yeah. painting." Like everyone hates this fucking thing, and I'm like, "This is the one I want because I mean." OC says it very plainly. He's like, who the fuck am I to tell you what my art thinks? Yeah. If you, you know, and so he's like, no one's going to like this. I don't know why I did a hostage. I just did a fucking hostage. And I'm like, bullshit. This right. is a representation of the Me Too movement. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, that's the, that's the, that's the thing about him and his paintings is he doesn't know what's motivating him. And I think it's, I think it's alcohol. Well, that's part of it. Um, you know, I mean, the, to digress, when I was first interviewing, you know, by the time he talks about his his mom and his uh, his son at, at a certain point, he already drank like three of those fucking forty ounce steel, whatever the fuck they still are, still reserves, yeah, oh, yeah, some malt liquor, and he was pretty hammered at that point. But um, you know, he's so funny. Like it was his birthday last week, and and I called yep. him to say happy birthday and stuff. And I go, what are you going to do for your birthday? Well, Emily's coming over, and then so that, and then I'm just going to get drunk tonight. And he's okay with that. You know, he's okay. He likes being by himself. He loves to have people over. Every time I go to his pad, I mean, I end up leaving at like one o'clock, and it usually, you know, involves you know us drinking and you know playing some music and stuff, and playing guitar or whatever, and and that sort of thing. But um, you know, he's a great Renaissance guy in a oh, lot yeah. of ways. In that. You know, um, <laughs> he's not like even he a Renaissance talking, man. He's a Renaissance guy. I like yeah, that. Even yeah, exactly. Um, but the, and one thing that I told him um, about where this is going to go, because we're in the Newport Beach Film Festival. And, and um, you know, look, I'm in Hollywood. I've been in the business for 35 years. I I can't even tell you the people that I've not even rubbed shoulders with, but shared space with for long periods of time, whether we were drinking or doing other things. And, and being friends and being confided in and all that kind of stuff. And I told him, I said, you know, when we go to this this event, you are, are going to be, people are, are kind of like, I mean, look, at you guys are a microcosm of what I'm talking about. This sort of reverential sort of uh, uh, look at him. And people, you know, when the movie's over and I've done movies, I've been in Sundance with projects that I was an operator, camera operator on and done the Q&A. And, and, you know, he's the star. And right. he's a reluctant star, but mm. in many ways, he'll he'll appreciate the appreciativeness that he's given out, and and that's that's another element to this whole thing was you know what he did by giving to the community, they gave back to him, and there was a great give and take, and specifically wouldn't have would not have happened without social media, and um, so as I said in the film, I think that there's social media did something right for once. You know, and that he he gave and people gave back. And it was really for me, it was like to see people genuinely like his work like you guys and and tell him, you know, I really like your work because, you know, when you watch him paint it and all that footage that I got of him painting and stuff, you know, it's a very, you know, I can't paint for shit. I, I've never really tried. <laughs> I can't draw. I can barely fucking sign my name the same way twice. But to see him and the and how the paintings evolve and yeah something doesn't come out the way he wants it and he just goes over it with some dap or plaster or whatever and creates something new you know that's that's it's really fucking hard to do yeah I, mean, I don't know if you guys paint but but i find no. that uh, really hard to do and make something that 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 has emotion to it and, and you look at it you feel something 
you know, whether it's the hostage or love bot or whatever the fuck it is. And um, I don't know. I just think he's such a fucking incredible guy an incredible artist that I think that when we, when we do get to the festival, you know, it, it's going to bring him attention that he never imagined. And he's going to rub shoulders with people that he never imagined. And, uh, and, and hopefully make the kind of money that he never imagined that he rightfully deserves. Oh, for sure. So. I mean, and so that actually leads me to a couple things. Number, number one, from what he's told us, it's already got him some new exposure, which is really cool. He said he just mailed a piece over to Hong Kong, I think he said, like a couple of weeks ago. So he's... Because he, as we talked about his, his humbleness, he, he doesn't need to be the, the guy. You know what I mean? He he just wants to be appreciated. And now I think he's starting yeah. to see that he is appreciated because he said he's selling one or two a month at this point, like selling them now. And that's great. I mean, I'm not finding fault with him making yeah. money off it. You no, do and you. It, you know, I had to tell him to stop giving them away. Yeah. You know, I said, you know, you're diminishing the, you know, the, the, the rarity of them. True. And although True. That, that feeling of giving away is a great feeling, You've sort of achieved, you know, you've gotten to a certain zenith where you don't have to give them away. I know it helps you and it makes you feel good, but you've achieved a certain place where they're important and you're important. And people want, they want this piece that you've created. And, you know, relish in that. Take advantage of that. Take advantage of your creativity. There's nothing wrong, you know, as punk rock as he is in that regard. There's nothing wrong. You're not selling out by selling Right bits of art that you've made. Agree, and uh, and I and I I just I, he's 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 adhered to it. Uh, he's given away some. You know, just to, to kind of go off subject for a second. There was a story I wanted to put in the film, but I, I didn't. The woman that that basically, you know, he stays up all night and he sits outside and he smokes cigarettes and he's got his cat and now he's got a fucking skunk and a fucking. Uh, uh, a possum that comes around. It's like fucking. He's like Doctor Doolittle. But prior to that, um, he just decided to put a painting outside his mobile home in the middle of the street and just leave it there for someone to find. And this woman walked. It was like two or three in the morning. Came walking down the middle of his street in his mobile home park and saw the painting and picked it up and fell in love with it. And he happened to be outside and they had this conversation. He's like. He's like, oh my God, do you know where this came? He goes, yeah, it's, it's my painting. He goes, oh my God, I'm, I'm an artist and I was having sort of creative block and I needed to take a walk and I found your painting and I love it. And it's, it, it makes me, it inspires me, you know? And I, I didn't have a place for that in the film because as it was, it was an hour, 40 minutes and there was so right. much more that I could have put in there, but I, I, I wanted to sort of streamline it a bit. You know, there was this whole group of people that worked at this smoke shop that he had put all these paintings in this underground parking garage and um, they had they had done like all these uh, videos on Twitter of us. Oh, she's got paintings out of the thing, and it looked like fucking Blair Witch Project of them, you know, chasing down paintings. <laughs> and he and he left a cassette playing there, you know, a little a little cassette player with uh, like one of his songs or whatever it was. That if he found the painting, he just had to turn the tape over and press play again so that it continuously played, or or either that or it just kept playing. And so these people, one of them got the table painting. The black table with that guy's oh, face that he yeah. talked about that was on uh, Instagram, and um, there's like the guy strapping it to the roof of his car, and it was just like I wish I could have put it in the film, but it would have been two hours long. But there's right. just all these these great genuine moments from him. I know it's off subject what we were saying, but I wanted to no, be sure to tell you that stuff. It, it, it's it just, no, it it's actually so cool. 
fits into a question I was going to ask you because, like, he even mentioned a few things that got cut from the movie and just, be- again, because you have to, you know, do what you do with your film. But, like, he talked about another artist that he knew. So how did you do... Because it couldn't have been easy to make the decisions, okay, this one stays, this one doesn't stay. Like, how did you decide what cuts you were going to make in terms of that journey? Um, you know, uh, the woman, the, the first woman that I interview... Um, Karen, uh, wasn't Carrie. it? Carrie. Oh, Carrie. Um, yeah, yeah she... Um, you know, we got to the to the block party and, and most of the people were there. And um, so I was. that was my chance to interview them and... And I don't know, I, you know, I kind of, I kind of went completely off my gut, you know, when, when I try to, whenever I edit anything or even write anything, I try to look at it from 10,000 feet. I try mm-hmm. to, you know, separate myself from it. If I was a viewer, if I was a reader, you know, what, cause I've read a lot of scripts in my time. Every time I start a project, I get the script. If I'm doing episodic, I get a fucking script for every episode that we're doing. And, um, if I'm not interested by page three, I start falling asleep. So, um, my goal very simply was with this, uh, you know, in terms of having people, I wanted to get the most interesting people. And they, and frankly, they were all interesting. There was a guy that I, I didn't put in there that there's a place that uh, it's called Neptune's net. And it's a sort of a, a, a little fish, uh, like a fish and chips kind of place, beer place that bikers go to. I go there. It's right on, on County line. They call it. It separates Los Angeles County from Ventura County. It's County Line uh, Beach, basically. And so we put one there, and this dude drove all the way from Oxnard, which is you know, probably maybe uh, 30 miles away. He, was, wow. he worked at a correctional facility, and he drove there on his lunch to get it. Wow. You know? and, and, it was a, and I interviewed him. And so I sat there drinking a beer, eating fish and chips, waiting for someone to show up. And all of a sudden, this dude showed up, and I bum-rushed him and stuff. And, and it was a great story, but I just couldn't put it in. So – I kind of stuck with my, my meat of, of Carrie and uh, the dude that drove from Santa Barbara because that's a great story. And he was a really interesting cat. And um, uh, Tim, who had the painting that looked like him, yep. who was really fucking interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, <laughs> you know, they were all interesting. And I just, I kind of just, I don't know, I just, I just went with my gut, to be honest with you. The- so much of it was just with my gut. So how, if you can remember, Mike, and if you can't, that's fine. But how, how many paintings did he actually give away that day because i think it's all you coming to bed hon yep honey i'll be right there just got to turn out the light ow 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 ah. some things never change like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on and geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance sweetie i think i left the downstairs light on P- please don't make me go 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Get like four or five in the, in the movie, but how many did he actually give away that day? Uh, that day specifically, and you know, what blew me away about it is we started really early, but uh, we had the first one, Randy, at the donut yep. shop. Yep. Uh, then we had the one at uh, 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 the Museum of Modern Art uh, that, that John got, and then we went to MacArthur Park, and I was pissed off that he, that he came and got the other one um, until he <laughs> said that uh, he was going to mail it to someone. But I was like, you fuck, why would you do that, man? We're fucking, you know, this is for multiple people to be involved. In. Yeah, he ma- I kind of felt the same way. He was going to mail it off, yeah. And he I, said he's going to mail it off. Do we actually know if he did or not? No, he actually did. And okay. the woman that he mailed it to, she got upset at one point that he he purged a bunch of people on Twitter because of one thing or another. 
Um, I forgot what it was, but it turns out she, she, she was, she got over it. Um, and then she the one that it, he yeah. gave away, yeah, the one that he gave away at the block party. And then he gave that other one away with that last thing. This has been the greatest day of my life. Um, and so whatever, however many that was. Oh, oh and then the one to Missy, uh, the porn star. Um, so I guess, what was it? One, two, three, four, five, I guess six. Oh, I was just curious mistaken. because then, it, it sounded like there were a couple that didn't make the cut. So it sounded like there might have been a lot more. I was curious, you know. Yeah, um, uh, I, I think he might have given one more away when I left and. It was a great shot of Anthony because um, it, it was like, I think, five or six o'clock by the time I left the block party. And we'd been at it all day. We'd driven sure. all over L.A. and stuff. And, and I just I said, dude, I got to go, man. I love you. You know, we sat out in the back and drank beers for a while there and stuff. And anyway, when I left, there was this shot of Anthony as I drove by. And I wished I would have fucking shot it. And I, I kicked myself when I think about it, where he was just leaning against the light pole out in front of the block party, mm. you know, just sort of taking it all in and marinating and everything and i and I, I think about it it was such a movie shot that like it was like a, a dolly shot just me driving by of anthony and he didn't notice me driving by just by himself standing out there taking it all in because he spent so much time with everyone that got a painting and talking to them and and you know as he does you know rico you you know from your time you understand that right and uh um, he directs so the attention it. from himself to who he's talking to. He, Very much he, so. He's less interested in talking about himself. He's more interested in, in what you have to say. Yeah. And um, so that day, as I said, I think it was about six paintings, but he went on to, he's like, I left another painting out last night. I left another one here. I mean, I think he's given away probably 30 paintings and I was only able, able to document what, um, maybe 10 of them, you know? Okay. So, um, you know, and like specifically the woman at Huntington beach pier, that was just such a it was such a mind blowing thing. Yeah, we that had was to a cool one. With the reporters and and uh, you know they um, they did their interview with Anthony and he and he said, all right, man, we're gonna go put the painting down at Ruby's, which was a restaurant at the end of the pier. He's mm -hmm. like, all right, all right, great, let's go. And I got a couple shots of him walking and stuff. And and uh, and then that the older Asian guy, we we tried to he, Anthony tried to give it to him, and the guy didn't want it. He just he's like he wanted a picture of it to send to his friend that lived in Paris. He was like this red herring, you know, that was like, Oh, we got a guy that got the picture and then he didn't want it. And he bailed. And, uh, then Anthony split. He's like, well, I'm going to go have a smoke and I'm going to walk down here. And so I was there with the reporters. And then that woman came along, Joan, Joan Bloomfield. And, uh, she found it. And, and I, I saw her pick her up and pick it up and look at it. And I just said, uh, she was, Oh my God, this painting's beautiful. What? And I said, well, you can have it if you want it. And she, it was just, amazing she was her anniversary and uh right. and then the, the after sort of the after event of me interviewing the reporter and her, her talking about and then anthony just had the most profound line of you know, yeah somebody else was supposed to come get that painting and she didn't show up and he's like i painted this for for joan you yeah. know this was for her and i didn't even know it and yeah. it was like what, what a beautiful spontaneous uh, amazing event yeah you know, it's it's funny, Mike, because last week when we talked to him about the documentary and the whole thing, and, and we talked about a lot of these different, you know, the people that came to get him and all that, Joan's the only one he mentioned I, he hoped she saw the movie. Yeah, I don't know how to contact her. And Neither did he. Does. Yeah. I think maybe the uh, the reporters might, so maybe we can get through that. I mean, I could look her up. I mean, there's probably so many Joan Bloomfields in Orange County. But <laughs> I hope she sees it because... 
she's like sort of the, the she's the climactic moment. Right. You know, Greg Grenberg, the actor, was sort of icing on the cake. Sure. Um, and that was that was a byproduct of, you know, you were talking about, you know, just you, Rico, being in San Jose. And people were contacting him from all over, wanted to fly him to Rome, wanted to fly him to, to Toronto, wanted to fly him to New York and, and put him up and drive him around and have him leave paintings around. And right. what a, what an amazing byproduct yeah. of this event. So um, he's like, well, more people are they want me to put them out. And, you know, you know, let's maybe let's put one out in Malibu. I said, all right, cool, let's do it. And we put it out there. Pepper died, and I was hiding behind a tree. And this dude shows up, and it's a fucking actor. And I was like, "Far and out," you know. Quick side note that you may already know, Mike, but he shared this with us last week. That apparently, from that, Greg got another one at his request that he then gifted to JJ Abrams. So JJ has. Oh, a, I didn't know that. He has a robot painting in the Bad Robot production offices. Apparently, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So. Well. I mean, all, all uh, uh, you know, giving up part of it is I kind of knew Greg because I worked on Felicity, you know, mm-hmm. back in uh, the TV show Felicity, which was J.J. Abrams' first TV show. And um, because Greg followed me, that got him to Octopus Caveman. And uh, him and J.J. Abrams are best friends from like kindergarten. Yeah. Yeah. So um, J.J. puts him in every project that he's ever done. And um, uh, yeah, and J.J.'s, JJ's the kind oh. of guy that um, – I worked on uh, the first Star Trek movie that he directed, and right. um, he kind of remembered me from Felicity and stuff. And he's a very enthusiastic filmmaker that um, appreciates art and appreciates, you know, that's what I what I was telling Anthony. You know, is people will appreciate this so much, and 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 I'm I'm bummed that we didn't get into Sundance, but Sundance, you know, they had a very specific, um, I think they have a very specific sort of ideology to what they wanted and we didn't fall in any of those categories but uh, you know I, I i just think it's just solid little film in terms of emotion and and uh and you know specifically an artist and what someone who is an artist and what they go through and and you know look the hardest thing in the world is there's three things that are probably the hardest thing in the world number one get up getting up and singing karaoke in a bar when you don't sing and yeah. being worried about people judging you. Yeah. And number two, like writing something and giving it out and having people judge it. And last, or, or music, I should say four, music and painting, you know, because people are ruthless. People are like, oh, this is shit. This is, you know, everything's American bandstand with thumbs down, you know. I, I would add to that, Mike, maybe a fifth one, and this is going to sound very self-serving, but it's not meant to be, but doing this. This is a very easy way to yeah. put yourself out into the world and and open yourself to some, some scrutiny. So sitting behind a microphone and putting your voice out to the world that way too it's it's very similar to music but in a different way obviously Absolutely. Um, but it's not meant speak to be for, you know. speak for yourself i'm a fucking natural on it yes you are <laughs> um i i had a couple questions about the the film festival so i'm glad you kind of circled back to that mike and then not so much about sundance because that's just what it is but um I don't know enough about this stuff. Rico, you might know more than I do. We've just never really talked about it on air or, or really at all, I think. But we have a friend who is a director in London, and he created a short film. It's, what, 18 minutes, Rico? It's not a long film. It's, it's something about – it's close to 20. Yeah, it's about 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And when he finished the film, he sent it to us privately because we're friends of his or whatever, and he wanted us to see it. We enjoyed it. And we offered – in a way to help him to put it on his YouTube channel, uh, excuse me, our YouTube channel. And he, he was like, no, 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 because he was trying to submit it to festivals. And apparently, and maybe the rules are different in London. That's 
getting to the crux of my question is if we had done that, it would have disqualified him from the festivals over there. So is there going to be any issue with Newport for it being up on YouTube? As far as, well, first off, I'm going to, I'm going to pull it off of YouTube. Um, I kind of want to do a limited run. Um, I, oh, well, I guess the, for some, I guess for the link the that music. we have is, uh, going to be known, but we put a link on our last episode so people could go see it, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just felt with sort of the COVID thing and, and, um, you know, I don't have the clearances for some of the songs. Yeah. He said, so that. we were going to, yeah. we were going to do original music in place of those, which I'm going to do. Um, but, uh, Sundance was specific about that. Um, Newport wasn't. Okay. So as far as I know, and I remember correctly, you know, it's funny because the Newport thing happened and then the COVID thing hit, you know, it was supposed to have already happened in April. Mm-hmm. And now it's been pushed till August. So, um, and even then, I don't know how it's going to work out. But, um, you know, if if that happens, you know, where they, well, and, and then I'm going to say, I'm just going to say, hey, look, it was COVID and we put it out for a limited run just to get a little uh, flavor on it and stuff. And because it, we we're, I was excited to have people see it. And so was sure. Anthony and, and get the feedback. And, and it was so, I mean, we've gotten over a thousand views and uh, mm-hmm. people really like it. And, you know, I see what people say about it. Obviously, you guys liked it. So, um, I'm gonna pull it, and uh, we'll do the necessary fixes. I mean, I look at it, and I picked it apart in terms of my editing, and and I'm very happy with with what I did, and and uh, it's got a nice flow to it, and um, it's very cohesive, and uh, you know, it's just a matter of fixing the. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd fix some of the, the the vocal parts of it, the audio parts of it, mm-hmm. but it's still raw, and I like the fact that it's raw, and I like the fact. I mean, I always like Anthony, and I would always I would tell him, you know, look at the the uh, uh, Gigi Allen uh, documentary. I don't know if you saw right. that, but um, you know, uh, Todd, what's his name? Did it. Todd Phillips did it. He was now a big time director. Right. And um, you know, a lot of it's really rough and the stuff that isn't was so set up that I was like, well, fuck, you know, I mean, you know, the stuff with his brother and, you know, he's out in front of his house and talking to the neighbors. Like it's this, you know, sort of organic moment, but it's not, it's totally fucking set up. Right. So we we other than me looking at his tweets that I had to have, you know, uh, somebody shoot, sure. you know, while I was sitting on my couch, um, that was happening in the moment. And I was just like, hey, would you mind shooting this to my son? And, you know, and um, and the zooms were stuff that I did in post on me and stuff for the, you know, sort of punctuated moment. But um, so I don't know what, well, you know, I, I, I'm going to pull it and. uh you know, we got, I got what I wanted. It was a test screening. You know, every project that's made, they do a test screening and that sure. was my test screening. Well, I gotta say when my girlfriend, and I watched it, she had a, a big kick watching it because she's from Huntington beach. So, and even yeah. more incidentally, when OC and I recorded in San Jose and the, 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 the punchline to that, to that whole thing is, we sent it, OC sent it to CJ, to our, to our, uh, our email. email. Yeah. And he didn't say, Hey, this is OC. He just had, he just wrote open me and had it be Anthony <laughs> Pedersen. Right. And so, and I, I called CJ. I was like, you need to check our fucking email right now. I just got a weird, like weird email. Because I knew what it was, but I wanted to freak out CJ. And CJ was like, delete it. I'm going to delete it. I'm like, no, you fucking idiot. Don't fucking delete it. Because it came across like, like, you know, like a spam, spam thing. Or you, something. Right. Yeah. Or where you open it and it like it infects the computer or whatever. So like I was like, right. let's just get rid of this thing. And he's like, 
So Rico ultimately had to be like, no, 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 no. It's just just open it and listen to it. I promise you it's not a virus, you know. Right. And I got about what like. What did you guys think? Go ahead, sorry. I got about two minutes into it and I texted him like, what the fuck did you do? You know. So what you what do you say? guys think of the, the video in the beginning, his video? Do you, how do you think that dovetails into the story itself? I, I, I think it's really good. I was it, it took me till maybe about 50% of the way through the film to realize you didn't shoot it, but that's not meant in a negative way in any way. Like, it just, I had to, like, I don't know. It was weird. That That's the only thing that was a little off for me is that I thought it was something you shot, and then I realized later right. that it was something he shot. Um... It it sets the tone for me. I can't speak for Rico, but like you had said earlier, it really kind of does encapsulate the whole vibe of the the documentary. And of course, you don't know that till you get to the end. But right. um, you, it definitely does. The I didn't get to say this to him last week when we were talking because I I just didn't get an opportunity really. But like watching him rip off the different pieces of the notebook and throw them away and then take the one where he said, I'm in love with someone who hates me and fold it up and put it in his pocket. I've been there. Maybe not to the level that he's been because I know the shit that he's been through, but I've been there and was like, I mean, that one, that one hit me more than any of them, you know? So, but Rico, what, what did you think, bud? Um, I, I was a. I had never seen it, but I was aware of it because I've I've seen OC talk about it on other videos or mention it in writings and shit like that. Like he, he's alluded to it. I think he alluded to it on on an on a episode once, but I think it just went over our head. So I kind of knew about it, but when I saw it, it, it again like like CJ, I thought you had done it, and then I realized, oh no. This is I could tell OC is younger in this one. Yeah, I could, I yeah. could tell this is about five years previously, um, and it, and like like CJ said, it was heartbreaking. It was funny. That was the thing. My favorite part of that segment is the is he's like, but not even him showing the dick. It's right. him having that smirk that he has and his eyebrow right. kind of raise a little bit and say, "Hey, you want to see something really funny?" And then showing the dick right. and. And then, and you know, I'm 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 watching with my girlfriend, and I'm like, that's fucking funny. And then it just goes dour. It goes yeah. very. It get, it gets raw. It gets honest. And yeah. like CJ said, I've been there too. I've been in love with you know people that didn't love me back. Vives en Virginia. Si recibiste la vacuna contra COVID-19, sigues estando protegido. Este otoño estaremos poniendo dosis de refuerzo para ayudar a prolongar esa protección. No olvides que el Departamento de Salud de Virginia sigue siendo tu mejor fuente de información sobre el COVID-19. Para saber si puedes recibir la dosis de refuerzo y programar una cita, visita vaccinate.virginia.gov o llama al 877-829-4682. Este es un mensaje del Departamento de Salud de Virginia. And but I I think it's different because I've never been married, so it, I think there's a, there's there's levels of love and and relationship sure. statuses. Um, I think watching that part, you know, you see, OC has said this before on the film, and then he actually said it with me in my episode with him. He's like, you know, my my ex wife has always said I married Anthony, and then I divorced Octopus Caveman. Right. And right. that in its crux, 
as funny as a statement as that is, it's really heartbreaking. It is. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Not, there's, a not, great, there's a great contrarian element to so many things that, that Anthony says that is, you know, on one side hysterical and the other side heartbreaking. And uh, that's what that's what that kind of encapsulates his whole run on everything, you know. Yep. And just to give you a little I don't know if you knew this or not, but, um, you know, so many of his paintings have that heart. It's in the middle of it, like yeah. Lovebot has it and stuff. He's got a tattoo right in the middle of his chest that's a heart. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, I didn't really capture that, and uh, you know, um, I wish I would have, but um, but it's okay. It's not really a big thing, but it, it's all representative of him in a lot of ways. When you see any of the, the paintings with a heart in the middle of it, it's it's directly sort of attributed to his there's self portraits being, yeah. You know, it's it's funny. He says that he can't do commissions. If someone says, hey, I need you to draw some fucking birds, he, he can't draw birds. But yeah. if if we were to say, dude, majority of your paintings are fucking self-portraits in your own way. You may say this is Sean Penn, but if anything, that's right. you. Right. Uh, see, that should have been a fucking ending. Is the Sean Penn painting <laughs> don't criticize his some... fucking paint, his movie, man. No, Come on no, now. no. Look, oh, look, all things considered... Okay. Him with his dad, yeah, it's a nice fucking ending. But Sean Penn, <laughs> get a Sean Penn painting. That would have been a that real would have been Oscar pretty badass. Well, yeah, a, I wasn't a big fan of the last painting, <clears throat> the last painting that he put out there next to the bench before we kind of fade out. Um, it's not one of my faves, but I, I, yeah, Sean Penn would have been really good to kind of put there and you know, and <laughs> on that note, my, know, my Sean Penn walk up. My second favorite painting of his period is actually, and I told him this last week, is the one he gave his dad. I yeah. love that painting. Well, you know what's interesting is if you if you look at the film again, when I first go into uh, his bedroom and he's taking out his paintings, the two most important paintings that he pulls out and he puts side by each is the one that Joan Bloomfield got mm-hmm. on the pier and the one that he gave to his dad. Yeah, that's right. And just by just by irony or divine intervention, these two paintings that that ended up being the most dramatic paintings that he gave away are the ones that he put out that were right next to each other at the beginning of the film yeah. when he first shows me his art. It's pretty interesting. And no, it is. And I actually hadn't thought of it that way, but that's a, it's an interesting way to look at that. So I'm, I'm glad that there are some good things that come out of Santa Clarita. I dated a girl who lived <laughs> in Santa Clarita and it drove me fucking nuts having to travel there. So I'm glad something good came from you. Well, you know, I grew up in the Valley and um, I kind of ended up out here um, when I, when I first got married, um, because the houses were cheap, the schools were good. I had kids that were babies and, and, um, you know, and then I ended up, I, I ended up back in the Valley for a while and, and my mom passed away and, um, you know, my divorce cost me a lot of money. So from her estate, I bought the house that I'm in now. And I mean, I looked all over the city, you know, where I would want to possibly live in it. You know, the one thing about Santa Cruz is it's very clean. Um, there's some good people around here. Um, my kids have a lot of friends around here. I mean, if I had my druthers, you know, I'd probably want to live in, you know, like near the beach or something, but, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's funny. There's a, there's a lot of people in the industry out here. Um, a lot of my friends in the industry out here and, you know, it's, uh, I mean, I, I've no desire to live in Hollywood. I have no desire to live in downtown LA or, you know, I'm not a fucking hipster and, silver lake or anything like that and you know i mean being a being a filmmaker doesn't automatically land you in this sort of uh you're this avant-garde guy i mean i you know i learned a very traditional 
style of filmmaking coming into the business. My dad was in it, my right. fourth generation. And, um, but as I went along in my career, I started doing like uh, rock videos. I got in with this rock video guy that was one of the top rock video directors of photography. And, um, and uh, you know, he did stuff that was so ballsy that, um, you know, I, I loved how he just, he, I mean, we did all these, we, I did an Ozzy Osbourne tour with him in like 1992. Right. And, um, and then we did a few videos of Ozzy and then some other bands and he was just ballsy. And I, I, when I took that to my sort of style of photography and, you know, sort of more one lightish kind of stuff, you know, very motivated light. And, um, if not motivated, then just something interesting. And, and, um, you know, you don't have to be, you don't have to look like, you know, dash rip rock, the artist to be creative and to do interesting stuff. And, you know, guys that I know that I've worked with, you know, they don't look like what you would perceive as a director of photography or even a director. They're just, they're just great dudes. I mean, Jonathan Demi, I worked with Jonathan Demi on a show a few years back oh, before wow. he passed away. And, and, uh, he, it was an episodic thing, uh, that I did called shots fired and we shot it in North Carolina. And so Jonathan Demi was brought in to direct one and, and he was just such a great, great guy and so wonderful. And, and, but he would show up to work wearing like Pokemon pajamas and, uh, <laughs> you know, and like slippers and, you know, and, and was just really kooky. But that's just the way he was. But he would love to talk about, I mean, everybody was all over him about Silence of the Lambs or Philadelphia yeah. or, or Stop Making Sense or um, the Neil Young concerts that he shot. And, and he, he was just so engaging. And so in many ways, he reminded me of when I was a kid, my dad used to work with, um, Blake Edwards, who did all the Pink Panther movies and mm -hmm. oh, you know, yeah. like 10 and SOB and stuff. And so I was on the set a lot with my dad, with Blake, and I worked on him as a kid and, and you know, as a young man. And uh, and Jonathan had that same affable way that Blake Edwards had, you know, and I, I and there's a lot of people that aren't like that now, you know, and um, and had that gravitas of the projects that they did. But we're still completely down to earth, you know, regular people. Yeah, I mean, Blake I, Edwards was married to Julie Andrews for Christ's sake. So, right. Can I just request that if you ever, if we're ever going to get a documentary made about Potescu, we need you to do it. Yeah, I, I, it'd be my, be my honor. Well, yeah, that's that's assuming anyone besides Jay would want to watch it. But that's you know a whole a whole other thing. And and to to your point though, Mike, you you've had a. I mean, I've had your IMDb up the entire time we've been talking, and if I was to go through your filmography, we'll be here for four more hours, which I would gladly do, but I don't want to do that to you. Um, but Rico, you're... I got nothing I don't, but time. What's that? I got nothing but time. Well, that's... We appreciate that. We do, sincerely. But at the same time, like... I, I wouldn't even know where to start. I'm being honest with you. There's so many things on here that I've seen, that I've been a fan of, that I've watched. You know, some of them you've been, you know, a part of, it looks like, from the whole thing and other, other things. It's like, you know, an episode here, an episode there. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's just the way that it, I'm sure the industry operates. Well, but, you know, a lot of what happens is um, because I'm, I'm a Steadicam operator also. Yeah, right. You know, when you're a Steadicam operator, um, you know, you get called, like, out of the blue. Are you available? And sometimes you fly to wherever it is and, you know, you sort of get plunked into this, this place, wherever it is, it could be, you know, Mexico, it could be Canada, it could be East coast, anywhere or the South. Whatever. And, um, you come in like this soldier for, you know, and, and inevitably because I've been doing it for a long time, I'll know at least one or two people on the crew. Sure. Um, but yeah, you come in and, and to be honest with you, it's all the same thing. You know, what is, 
you know, here's the shot. This is what we want to do. And, um, you know, you get a quick sort of idea of what compositionally they like to do, um, what the, what the scene's about and you apply that to whatever you're doing. But, um, it was funny. So before I got on with you guys, I was riding my Harley with um, a bunch of other guys in the business that, that are friends of mine. And, you know, um, one guy is uh, a famous director of photography named Johnny Jensen. Um, Johnny Jensen worked with my father years ago. So, um, you know, I've known him. I, I didn't know him real well, but I knew of him since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And um, Johnny did everything from like grumpy old men to uh a movie that's been talked about recently called rosewood um because it was about you know slaves and uh you know in the 1800s and 1900 or maybe the early 30s i can't remember exactly but johnny did some really beautiful work and he's 72 now and um sort of doesn't get hired anymore because he's a very no-nonsense guy but um his son is a, a guy named jimmy jensen who is like the top uh focus puller you know first assistant who's I can't even go his credits, but he is the top guy. And Jimmy's done every, he gets the first call in every big movie there is. Um, and then uh, my friend, Billy Brow, who was Johnny's operator and assistant for a long time, who's retired now lives near me. And so we all went riding, you know, and it's like, we get together and we never really made it to riding. We got to Johnny's house and just drank beers and did some shots. And I had to come back for the, for this deal. But um, there's just so many great stories that we all have with one another. And, and the history of the things that we've done. And, you know, you, you go into projects, you know, the phone rings and here's a project. Are you available? You know, you make a deal for the money and you don't really come into it knowing, I mean, other than big movies that, you know, is a big movie and it's going to be a like Titanic. You go work on Titanic, you know what Titanic is. Sure. Um, and my experience on that to be brief was uh, it was near the latter part of the film. they had called me several times to come work on it. I'd, I'd been a camera operator for, I think two or three years and I was finally available and I went down there and, and literally we flew to San Diego and they drove us to Rosarito where the, the, the set was and, and the ship was made and stuff. And you drive up and you see this fucking massive fucking ship that's just there. And I just went, wow, this is fucking crazy. And, and of course, you know who Cameron is. Mm, right. And I had a lot of friends on the crew and stuff. And, and um, my first thing with James Cameron was uh jimmy muro was the steady cam operator on that i was just a regular operator uh jimmy muro said hey have you met jim yet i go no and so he takes me goes hey jim this is mike may one of our other camera operators and uh jimmy james cameron goes mike may welcome aboard and he goes how's your hand held you know holding the camera on your shoulder handheld and and i go it's good and he goes on a scale of one to ten how would you rate yourself and i'm like well fuck i'm not gonna say ten you know (laughs) and as i'm searching for a number in my head all right he goes are you at least an eight and i go eight and a half so uh, next thing I know, he goes, all right. And I, I get on this this dry suit. You know, it was a huge tank. It was like a fucking massive water tank that was like four feet deep, except for the front of the, the Titanic was uh, like 40 feet deep So because the bow was on hydraulics so they could drop it and bring it back and do it as many times as they wanted. So I end up in, the, in a, uh, a little boat that takes me out there in front of the bow. And, um, you know, I'm out there with my camera and, and my focus puller was a guy that I knew. And. So I did the shot and Cameron's on, uh, you know, this, we call it the voice of God, but it's a PA system that could be right. heard throughout the whole thing. And, uh, so we do and action and all, oh, these people are fucking drowning and shit and the fucking bows sinking and all this stuff. And I do my shot and, uh, cut. And, uh, all of a sudden I hear Cameron go, good, Mike. And, 
I go, did he just say good Mike? You know? And it was like, I just go, fuck, did he just say good Mike? I was like, I couldn't, I wasn't all right. Anyway. So I get out of the water and boom, boom, boom. I do a few other shots and I do this other one where it's me, you know, cause Cameron operated a lot of shots and I'm sitting in, I'm standing in front of the, the bow with James Cameron and Jimmy Muro and we're lined up one, two, three. And it's when the Italian dude is swimming away from the ship and the smokestack lands on him. Ah. All, the smokestack was done in, in visual effects, but sure. the actual shot of him swimming away is, you know, just regular stuff. So we do our shots cut and we go, and there was this bank of like six monitors that were lined up, you know? And so we'd look at replay. So Cameron goes, he goes, all right, play back Mike's camera. And uh, first of all, the, the frame lines, they, they put tape over the monitors to make the frame lines proper for what we're, you know, we're shooting in 16 by nine and, you know, anamorphic. And so my shot comes up and it's all snow fucking didn't record. And Cameron oh. starts just vilifying the video guys. What the fuck? Where the fuck is Mike's shot? God damn it. Right here. And he goes, I don't know. I don't know what happened. And Cameron turns to me and he goes, how was your shot? And I go, it was fucking great. He goes, okay, let's move on. And I get out of the water and I take my dry suit off and the producer, John Landau comes up to me and he goes, what's your name? And I go, uh, Mike May. And he goes, how long you been here? And I go, um, I don't know, like two, three days. And he goes, I said, why am I fired? And he goes, no, I just can't believe that if Jim says, asks you if the shot's good, that you say yes. And he believes you. And I said, I don't know what to say, man. <laughs> but Cameron, Cameron liked me. And, and I, my only, my only response to it is, is that, you know, you come into a project as whether you're a camera operator or a focus puller, anything that has to do specifically with someone like James Cameron is just having a level of confidence and being into the moment and understanding what the scene's about and, and doing something that, that, you know, it's not reading their mind. It's, Again, looking at it from 10,000 feet and, you know, doing something that when you're sitting in front of your TV or a 50 foot movie screen that you can say, that's a bitching shot or that's a great shot. So wait, I got to say that. Go ahead. CJ. No, no. Mine's a goofy question. If you have a legit one, go for it. Well, mine's just a comment. I, was, I, I think it's funny. You said eight and a half. And I'm like, that should Cameron should just be calling you Fellini from now on, because that's just <laughs> like, a, you know, the fact eight and a half is just a great fucking filmmaker reference. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I, you know, I mean, he he just chewed up people and spit them out left and right. And uh, he, he he could be the angriest Canadian I've ever even heard of. But like, I don't even know. I don't know if he was Canadian. Is he Canadian? I thought he was from. Uh, he was like Cameron? a truck driver from L.A. Yeah, yeah that's for he for, Yeah, he's Canadian. Oh wow! Um, there you go. CJ, what were you gonna say? My, no, my question was way goofier. But since you were on set and solid, I just want to know: was there actually enough room for both Jack and Rose on the door? Because I think there was. I'm just oh, saying, uh, there definitely was. Uh, no comment. That's the <laughs> comment on. Yeah. Okay. Mean, well, I got know, a question. Leo was just a little kid then, man. I mean, he had like twig arms and but that's uh, what i'm saying you know, there's plenty of yeah. room on that door i'm just but saying again, anyway if he would have made it there wouldn't have been tears flowing so that's you gotta, true you know, that's consider. true fair enough uh, okay the funny thing was is that uh, another director that i worked with um i think yeah it was prior to that was a guy named george cosmatos and uh we did this film together called shadow conspiracy that was a mm. charlie sheen movie with linda hamilton who was still married to to cameron, cameron yeah and um uh, so George Cosmatos directed Tombstone, and he directed Shadow Conspiracy. On uh, Shadow Conspiracy was his first movie after Tombstone. He, Cosmatos fired a hundred people on Tombstone. So on, yeah. on Shadow Conspiracy, I replaced someone that got fired, and um, and I lasted the show. But the thing was is that, um, and I knew Linda Hamilton. I'd done a couple other projects with her, and um, anyway, 
uh, on Titanic, I, or actually on Ca Shadow Conspiracy, I met Cameron. He came to visit Linda. We were in Washington, D.C. So on Titanic, I said to Jim, I said, hey, you know, I don't know if you remember, uh, I did Shadow Conspiracy with Linda. And, um, you know, you came to visit the set and whatever, whatever. And he goes, oh, yeah. And, you know, I didn't really he didn't remember me, but he remembered the moment and all that kind of stuff. But Cosmatos was very similar in that, you know, he was looking to fire people. So you had to be so on your fucking right. game. And, um, you know, I, I was I have to say in my career, I've worked with some of the most difficult people in the business. And I've always kind of came out on top in terms of not getting fired and, and not having issues with them because. You know, you, you come in with that that concept of I'm a filmmaker, you know, I'm here to, to fucking kick ass and do great work. And um, if you do that, generally, those people that and they're all the people that I hire when I can hire people, they are of the same mindset, you know, and uh, and, and it, it's along with your talent. That personality is what kind of keeps you in the game. Yeah. Can I, mean, I ask a, another question about Titanic? Yeah. CJ, what were you going to say? No, I was just going to move on to because he's he's got several movies I love, and I don't want I don't want stories from each, but I was just going to list a few of them for him. But anyway, go. Well, yeah, I had heard of the infamous uh, PCP chowder of Titanic. Yeah. So yeah. Were, did that? Did you get? Uh... I wasn't there for that. Um, I certainly heard about it. Um, uh, I yeah, I mean it was. <laughs> I don't think I don't think we I don't think we ever broke for lunch because it was at night and it, there was so many fucking people. You had all these extras in water, you know, with their with their you know their costumes on and stuff. And to break for lunch, it would take two hours, right. and that would take away from shooting. So you know, people would just go right walk around and give you some food, and um, you know, you were fucking you were there from the time you got there until the time you went home. You were in the fucking tank or or outside of it, and uh, I did do some stuff on stage. Um, I did, uh, I don't remember if I did the scene where the two of them are on the bow, cause that was all on stage. Um, but I did some of that stuff. I don't recall exactly, but, um, CJ, do you, you know, know what, yeah. do you know what I'm talking about? No, but you can fill us in cause I don't want to. Someone, uh, dumped a bunch of PCP in like some lobster chowder oh, good. during, and, and everyone got fucking like yeah. fucked up. Including yeah, as, Cameron. Yeah. Apparently Cameron's eye turned bloodshot red that like he was told that he looked like Schwarzenegger, the Terminator with the blood eye. <laughs> oh, geez. And, and like he went and made himself like throw up immediately. But like, like a lot of people got fucked up and they never caught the guy. Apparently, like, it was just yeah, some... I mean, there were so many people on that show that the, I mean, the camera department I actually have a call sheet uh, from it around here somewhere. And if you look at the call sheet, which is what tells you. You know who's yeah. working, what their who's names are, who's supposed to be there, what scenes you're going to shoot. The fucking call sheet is is the most mind blowing thing when you see the amount of people that were part of it. And uh, so it's not like you can narrow down the suspects. It's like okay, well, there's no, 150 there's no fucking, fucking people here. Because yeah. ultimately, you know, like with that, you know, craft service when they have like, the, you know, they'll put out soup and stuff, and they'll usually be like two big things of soup. One will be like chicken soup, and one will be like clam chowder or something. You know, and on a show like that, it was even more. It was just so much. You know, it was a fucking city. I mean, they built that whole set from scratch right. there. You right. know, and uh, it's. Uh, I mean, I've done other big shows, but nothing will ever be as big as that. Oh right. um, yeah, yeah. I like I said earlier, I'm looking. I'm, man, I'm looking at this thing, and like I, 
we we could talk to you for hours, but I mean, like, you know, Escape from L.A. is a movie I love. Um, oh God, I was supposed to do that movie um, from the start, but I got in a motorcycle accident oh. and broke my ankle, and uh, so I only worked on it for like a couple weeks. And specifically, the scene that was uh, the Bruce Campbell uh, um, uh, fucking plastic surgery scene. If you remember yeah. that, where he's doing plastic surgery, and I actually worked with Bruce Campbell on. Um, x-files it was a great x-files episode um i don't know if you guys followed that at all but i did, he did yeah. an episode where he um he basically uh he's married to this woman in the middle of the night mm-hmm. where they go they, she goes to get a, a, a ultra scan ultrasound and the kid looks like he's deformed and then that night she goes to bed and all of a sudden she wakes up and there's this fucking devil at the foot of her bed and uh spreads her legs open and reaches inside her and pulls the devil out and she comes out of it, you know, she wakes up the next morning, there's blood all over the bed, and uh, her baby's gone. And uh, anyway, as as the episode progresses, um, you know, Scully and Mulder are looking into it, and it turns out, they, uh, Mulder finds out that Bruce Campbell's actually a devil, and he's got multiple wives, and the tag to the episode is basically that he's a devil that's trying to have a normal kid with, with human beings, and if the kid comes out looking like a devil... He takes it out of them and kills it and buries it and burns it or whatever. And the one woman that he's impregnated, he tries to take it from her at the end of it. And turns out she's a devil and she actually wants the devil kid. So it's like a really. I, re- I remember episode. that episode. Yeah, I, I yeah. used to watch. So I remember that. It was it was a uh, Rico knows it's I'm not scary. a big. Har- yeah, Rico knows I'm not a big horror person. And that so that's like the limits for me. But I mean, I'm looking at like. Because you've technically worked on two different Star Trek franchises. You worked on the one with JJ, and then you did the the first TNG movie, if I'm seeing yeah. this right. Well, yeah, I did the first, um, when it went to episodic, you know, when it was um, uh, the, the episodic, uh, when Next Generation first came out, uh, and, you know, before they started making movies. It was at Paramount. I was doing a movie called The Presidio, and my friends were working on uh, Next Generation, and so they were across the stage from me, and I'd see him and stuff. And uh, my friend, my friend Greg Luntzel, he's like, "Hey man, when are you finished? Because uh, you know we'll get you over here." And I said, "Well, I think we finished in January, or whatever." So uh, when I finished Presidio, I started working on Next Generation, and I met uh, uh, Jonathan Frakes back then. And yeah, and my cousin, my cousin actually worked on that at that time, and we used to go out to lunch, you know. So I'd go out to lunch with like the DP and. And uh, and Jonathan Frakes and we you know drink wine and shit. And so cut to uh, then years later, the Next Generation movie came about, and I ended up on that. And Frakes remem- remembered me from uh, from the TV show, from and, all the wine uh, drink. <laughs> yeah, and he's a great fucking guy. So then cut to uh, I was doing Orville, and Frakes directed an episode. Yep. And he walked on the set when he was scouting, and he was like, Mike May, where's Mike May? And I was like, wow, fucking Frakes remembers me. I was like, hey, John, how are you? He goes, dude, I'm so happy to see you. I mean, he's the greatest fucking guy. Um, but yeah, and then, of course, yeah, doing the J.J. Uh, Abrams version, I mean, they're all decidedly different you oh, know, yeah. in terms of the, the so, uh, personnel and all that. But yeah. Ba- based, I was going to ask something else, but, you, but based on what you were just saying, I have to ask this instead. You know, on your relationship with Frakes, do you think that means that you'll ever have some work on Picard? Because he's heavily involved uh, in that project. For Picard, I was I interviewed for it uh, when the first season. Um, didn't get it. Uh, I think I was a little too old and maybe too um, what's the right term to use? Experienced. Um, seasoned. Seasoned is a good word. Um, 
And uh, I, I thought I had it. I had a great interview with the DP, but he hired somebody else. But, um, you know, uh, you know, you never know why people don't, don't want you or whatever. Yeah, I only ask because Frakes directed, I think, two or three of the episodes of the first season. Right. So, you know, right. it made me curious. Exactly if, right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I had a lot of friends on it. And, um, you know, uh, I talked to him and they go, yeah, Frakes said to say hi and stuff. And, um, you know, because, I, you know, I was doing Orville and uh, I was just a steady cam operator in Orville and they changed directors of photography. And so he wanted to bring his guys. So I got left out of the loop there. But I really liked being part of Orville. I loved working with Seth. He was fun to work with. And, you know, he's such a, a TV buff. And, uh, you know, he loved uh, we'd always do sort of play this game of TV theme songs and play them, you know, come up behind you and play like some TV theme song from the 60s or 70s. And you try to guess what it was. And um uh, you know, and Seth Seth's was sort of Orville was kind of like a, a feature film, even though it was TV, and that there was no holds barred in terms of the equipment that we got, um, you know, and how long it took to shoot stuff. He didn't care. He just I don't give a shit. You know, I mean, one of his great lines was uh, the producers coming to him, well, Seth, that's going to cost a hundred thousand dollars. He's like, I don't give a shit. It's just Murdoch money, and he's going to give it to Hannity anyways. You know, so he, he hated Fox and he hated you know that whole thing. That's why it's on Hulu now. Uh, but, right, um, right, yeah, yeah. So, I, yeah. I've, I've been always been a fan of of Seth MacFarlane, and not just Family Guy, but just the man himself, because I'm a massive Sinatra buff. So for anybody oh who my God. pushes the Nelson Riddle Sinatra shit that he does, it makes me. Yeah, I I just re I just I'm diving all the Simpsons episodes, and I just saw an episode where he came on and he like plays basically a variation of himself. As as most celebrity voice guys do, but right. he and I'm watching it. I'm like, I think that's Seth MacFarlane. I, it sounds I know that voice and it kind of looks like him, which is yellow. And and he's like flirting with Marge and they're like dating and shit when like on the side. And then I'm like, oh my god, it's I'm like nudging my girlfriend. I'm like, he is. We're gonna hear some fucking Seth singing Frank. Like it's just inevitable. <laughs> and of course, he's just like someday. When I'm yeah. awfully low. He yeah, no, he, yeah. He truly a renaissance man in that regard. And and yeah, he, he actually used to imitate. Well, he would do obviously different voices on the set. He would do Peter once in a while. Um, he mm. would do Michael J. Fox all the time from Back to the Future, which was hysterical. But yeah. he also used to do crew members. So he'd imitate different crew members on the show. And people would think that it was them, you know. And, and uh, you know, he, he was a really fun guy to work with. I miss working with him, you know. Was he was he Orville your it was first a ex- fun time? Was he Orville your first experience working with him or? Yes, okay. yes. I came in uh, the first season. He got fired. I replaced them, and then the second season, um, I was asked to do the show, and then the third season, um, the director of photography didn't get brought back. And you know, the guy that came in, you know, it's, it goes back to what I said about being seasoned, you know, and and um, I was sort of known as. You know, Seth loved what I did, and I think there was a threat there that I was somehow close with Seth. But you know, whatever. Uh, you can't. People oh, there's you always know, pe- people. I, the biggest, the biggest challenge in the industry, and it's been that way for quite a while. You know, is there's there's people that are insecure, and yeah. um, you know, part of your job, especially if you're a high profile pro, high profile person on the set, is you know you kind of have to. You know, it's easy to get drawn into, um, you know, sort of uh, cajoling, you know what I mean? And um, 
I don't do that. I keep a very low profile, but you know, the actors that you become friends with it. In fact, one of the actors in Orville is uh, a guy named Jay Lee, who is uh, just a great guy. And I shot a movie for him uh, last year that just came out on iTunes called, um, I think it's, uh, it was Wednesdays, but it's like any other Wednesday. But if you look up Jay Lee, who is one of the actors on Orville, um, his movie just came out that I shot. And uh, you know, Jay Lee was just a great, funny guy. And he's got a great story because he was from St. Louis. He was a comedian, he's an amazing uh, piano player. And so he got a job working at Seth's company. Um, God damn it, I forgot the name. Fuzzy, of it. He Fuzzy worked, Door. Fuzzy Door. He worked at Fuzzy Door. And he was just an office guy and uh, eventually ended up writing for Family Guy. And mm -hmm. uh, Seth made him, uh, gave him a character part in uh, Orville. So. Well, we're also big fans of uh, Ralph Garman. So Ralph Garman. Yeah. Oh, Ralph. Uh, did you do you know Ralph? I I'll tell you. It's not uh -oh. going to be a big mystery, but I'll tell you the story. But uh, Ralph played an alien on Orville. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. He was extremely claustrophobic. Yeah. And uh, they put this mask on him that was really. Uh, I mean, he was. You know, he was fucking completely. All the people that played aliens had these big rubber prosthetics um right patrick warburton um you know yeah. on and on and on but uh ralph freaked out uh i heard he that supposed to play this, and yeah. he couldn't handle the prosthetic and he just went completely so i can't fucking do this man i can't fucking do it he was sort of you know marching around the set and he couldn't do it so they got jason alexander and jason alexander he's played the bartender and um you know and it's funny because i played in a celebrity poker tournament uh with Jason Alexander, I ended up at the last table in this poker tournament. I'm not a poker player per se, but it was fucking crazy. I was at this last table at Hollywood Park with Jason Alexander, and you know. But anyway, so that's pretty awesome, though, because I I, yeah. I love playing poker, so that would be that would be awesome to be able to say that you did that. Um, <laughs> it was I did, crazy. Did, no, just to elaborate real quick, because like Rico said, we're both fans of Ralph, so we've heard him talk about it. I thought he at least did the one episode, and then they replaced him. Or am I incorrect about that? That he he made it through the one episode that he did. He did make it through the one episode. Um, I wasn't. I don't think I was pretty sure I wasn't on it when he was on, um, but I know for a fact because I was there. Sure, um, he was having a lot of trouble with that uh, second time around, and. You Do you know, know I mean, if, those, those prosthetics are just so, I mean, it's a really weird thing. You know, you're, you're in them. Who am I? Naomi is the new hit series that's got all the buzz. You have power I have never felt before. Critics are calling it unbelievably charming. Captivating. A delight to watch. Casey Walpole couldn't be more perfect as Naomi. You ready? The question is, are you ready? Get ready to see why. I don't know what is happening to me. Are you a superhero? Superheroes aren't real. What if they are? Naomi, only tonight on The CW. Tonight at 9, only on DCW 50, Washington CW. I'm not saying you have to love football. We all have different likes and dislikes, people. Personally, I'm not a fan of the avocado. I just don't like the mouthfeel. But, but if you're someone who loves football, I mean, truly loves it well, my sportsbook app might be the greatest thing that has ever happened to you. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call, text, or chat on confidential and toll-free helpline at 1-888-532-3500. You know, it takes an hour, hour and a half, two hours sometimes to put them on, and, you know, you're in them for, you know, 8, 10, 12 hours a day, so. Yeah, he, he's pretty notoriously claustrophobic. Uh, he, he did a whole 
uh, Hollywood Babylon episode where he was talking about with him and Kevin Smith, he was supposed to put on a certain type of prosthetic. Uh, they they had to uh, put him in the casting and they had to like breathe through like the the straws and everything. Yeah, and he just he just couldn't do it. And then ultimately, I think it was they said, "Well, we still really want you, so we're going to like pay for the extra duty CGI version. We're like just going to like." Ca- like CGI plaster you just we're gonna get a, a, a scope of your of your head and just make the mask that way and he right. said what well, it was he was more humble than anything that like they were doing it specifically just because they wanted him yeah but it, we're, we're also huge massive fans of Kevin Smith so with Kevin Smith right you know comes Ralph Garman and, and I'm also I'm a I'm an impressionist as well so I like anybody who could do any voice so. which is why he yeah, likes no, Seth MacFarlane really cool he just thing with Seth and Seth was so uncompromising um, that if there were things that we could do CGI, um, that were easy to not, not easy because any CGI is hard to do, but, right. um, if it became an issue on the set with anything that was a practical, you know, effect, right. um, if it wasn't working, he'd say, fuck it, let's just do it on CGI. And that's where they would come and say, well, that's going to cost a hundred thousand dollars. And say, I don't give a fuck. So, right. um, <laughs> you know, I mean, he was, uh, he was uncompromising and he, and he is to this day. So. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to talk to Seth MacFarlane. He's he's yeah. always yeah. been. He's always. I, I could just talk to him about Sinatra. Fuck his career. I'd be like, let's <laughs> just talk Frank together. He, he's just uh, literally an encyclopedia of of music. You know, uh, of specifically, you know, Sinatra type stuff. You know, that kind of thing. And the Kroners, and an encyclopedia yeah. of TV. In fact, he was telling me that when he when he wrote Orville, um, I mean, he just watched so much. That so much of everything that's written, and he writes every episode. Right. He writes the whole show before we start shooting, and um, he just would watch so many shows and and cherry pick whatever for, because that's really everything is just a rehash version of something. You know, there's still there's still the arc. There's you know, boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy sure. uh, gets girl back, and then boy and girl have a fight, and then boy meets girl again. You know, it's that sort of thing. Can I ask about Dracula Dead and Loving It? Because, <laughs> because I got some good stories about that. Yeah, go ahead. I, I love me some Mel Brooks, and ultimately that is the last Mel Brooks movie that yeah. we'll, we'll get. I mean, that's the last movie he's I directed. And... I, I did his last movie, yeah. I mean... Um, I can tell uh, you this. Uh, yeah. Mel was, uh, he was a little bit of a tyrant on that for whatever reason. Um I don't think he was always like that. But just just so you know, what what you say will be releasing. So if there's, and we, 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 <laughs> yeah, we usually no, tell we, we usually tell every guest this. Like if there's something you don't want us to put out, let us know. We'll cut yeah. it out. But but ultimately, well, we're posting this. Back up, I'm going to back up that statement with this. Um, in that, first of all, it was great to work on that because my dad actually used to do the original Get Smart um, that Mel Brooks was one of the writers on. Oh, wow. oh no way, John so, Adams. Um, yeah, and so Mel Brooks was always uh, kind of a household name in my life growing up. But sure. uh, and I, I, my dad didn't do Blazing Saddles or Young Frankenstein or anything, but I, we knew a lot of people that did. But anyway, so Mel would be like this tyrant on the set, and uh, you know, be like, "Well, why? It's God damn it!" You know, and he'd get mad at stuff. <laughs> and then we we would we would break for lunch, and uh, we would go watch dailies at the uh, the screener the theater that was at, on the lot at. Uh, it's just, it's Culver City lot. It's it's kind of near uh, MGM. But anyway, so we go watch dailies, and Mel would be like ranting and raving, 
And then we would get to dailies and then the food would come and you go, Oh my God, this fucking food is amazing. It's so good. Oh my God. Have you, did you guys get the chicken? It's fucking great. So it was almost like a, it was more of an act than an actually uh, sort of tyrant kind of thing. But what was so great on that show was, you know, we had Harvey Corman, you know, right. all the characters that, that Mel had throughout his films that were still alive and Bancroft was in it. You right. know, um, there was just all these great people and, and, and just the stuff that would happen on the set and the improv. Leslie Nielsen. Leslie, Leslie was a star. I worked on all, almost all the Naked Gun movies, and right. Leslie was a, just, a, just a great guy. And he always had this little fart thing that you squeeze and made the fart noise, so he was constantly doing that. And, right. Um, you know, it was a, those, are the, those are the projects that I really cherish is, you know, working with those iconic people that um, they were just, I mean, Leslie was always nice, and, and uh, you know, they were, they were always just great people to be with, so. You, you know, I, Mike, as as impressive as your IMDb page is, it's woefully missing thing. Like it's it's unrepresented because you're telling us things you've worked on that are not listed here. And I believe you. Trust me. That's not a question of belief. It's just that someone needs to update this shit for you because there's some stuff on here that, that you're you know, you're telling us it should be listed and it's not. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I'm actually thinking about taking stuff off because I don't want to be. Well, this guy's been working in the business since, you know, my first camera job. And this is this is just a fucking story that always, you know, again, it's one of those things where somebody asks you if you want to do something and you go and do it. But sure. my first camera job was the only film that was written and directed by Harvey and Bob Weinstein. And it was called Playing for Keeps. Yeah, I and, see that. And uh, the, the uh, director of photography was a guy named Eric Van Heron Noman, who was a very dear friend of my father's. And... Uh, they, my dad and Eric had worked on this movie, Days of Heaven. I don't know if you know that film, but it's yeah. uh, it won Academy Award for Best Cinematography. But my dad had saved Eric's life on that film. And there's this whole part where uh, the wheat fields are burning and Eric was a, a steady cam operator and he fell down. My dad was guiding him and he tripped and these wheat fields were on fire and knocked himself out. My dad carried him out of the fire. But anyway, all that being said, Eric got this movie with Harvey and Bob Weinstein, who were nobody at the time they were they were rock promoters out of buffalo and my dad was going to do it he said hey, you want to do this thing and learn how to be a camera guy and i go yeah for sure we're, we're pennsylvania for three months i said okay great let's go so i went there and um you know harvey and bob weinstein every day i mean who knew what they were going to become sure. we more or less sort of or what they were doing or what the, well you know i'm sure one of the actresses on the show i was friends with and uh she it was marissa tomei's first film but it yeah, wasn't right. the actress but i had, i had actually talked to the other lead actress on facebook and and we had a little just a little thing back and forth i said hey did you ever did harvey ever try it she goes yeah he never got anywhere with me though but you know he was this big frumpy guy this big mustache and i mean he looked like a schlub him and his brother both looked like they still look like schlubs but yeah. um obviously became filthy rich and and um and filthy later, period Beg your pardon. And filthy period. Yeah, exactly. But years later, I had um, a, a friend of mine who was a private investigator um, did some work for Harvey. I can only imagine what it was. Um, and I had a script that I had written that I, I was like, "Hey, I wonder if I can get Harvey to read this or whatever." And so I talked to my friend. I said, "Hey, you still have Harvey's email, or whatever?" And he goes, "Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll send him an email saying that you're going to send him something." And I, and I go, "Okay, cool." So. I got Harvey's email and I sent him an email. I said, hey, Harvey, it's Mike May, whatever, whatever. And he emailed me right back. He goes, my God almighty, it's so great to hear from you. You know, how's your dad? How's everything? And this whole thing. And so I sent him my script. I said, you know, I got the script. And I said, it's kind of like, uh, um, 
you know, what's the movie with Christian Slayer? That's a famous movie. God damn it. That he the volume. No, no, no. The one, uh, that, that uh, Tarantino did. Um, that's the famous, Oh God, it's escaping me now. Christian it's Slayer. Heathers. Like, no, no, no. It's the one, um, uh, with Harvey Keitel and, um, God almighty, which one was it? True Romance, my daughter just yelled at me. Oh, that, thank oh, you. Jesus, I, I forgot yeah, that. Yeah, Harvey produced that one. So I said it was kind of like True Romance, and he goes, I already did that movie. And I was like, well, fuck, it's not exactly that movie. It's kind of like it. Right. But anyway, that was kind of kind of my last email with him. And uh, the next thing you know, he was getting arrested. So it was kind of like, okay, Harvey, yeah. And maybe you were yeah, better man. off that he turned it down then. I mean, who knows? Quite possibly. I mean, that's what it goes back to what I was saying is that, you know, you go into projects. You know, you don't know what the future will hold sure. with the relationships that you make. You don't know what connections are going to happen for you later on. I did this TV show called North Shore back in 2004, and Jason Momoa and I became very good friends. And and uh, you know, he was um, he had a, just a, he was just a co-star on that show, and he was literally living in his his Jeep, sleeping at the beach at night because he didn't have a place to stay. We were in Hawaii. And, you know, we'd party together and stuff. And he'd go, dude, do you mind if I crash at your pad? I'm like, no, dude, I got a couch. You know, I had an apartment in Waikiki and he used to sleep on my couch. And, you know, we became really good friends on that. We were there for eight months and then the show got canceled and we came back to L.A. And he actually, I started to go through my divorce and and uh, I kind of lost contact. He, he called me a few times, dude, let's get together. And I was like, oh, I don't feel like next thing you know, he's this huge star. And in fact, the guys I was just with just did a movie with him in uh, in Pittsburgh, Jimmy Jensen. And he goes, yeah, man, Jason's like, hey, do you know Mike May? And I was like, yeah, I know Mike Man. So, you know, I'm hoping to connect with him, you know, somewhere. So you Aquaman, never know. Cool. Aquaman's dropping your fucking name. That's that's legit. Yeah, well, they're getting ready to do Aquaman 2. Yeah. Um, that supposedly was going to start in January, but I don't know what's going to happen. But, you know, it, it's it's just, like well, I said, you, you're running these circles. You don't know where they're going to go. Wait, so you're going to work on Aquaman 2? No, not I, okay. not at the moment. Uh, I wouldn't say that it's a completely outside uh, chance that I would never work on it. You never know what's right. going to happen. Right. Um, but uh, you know, Jason's into Harley's. He rides Harley's. Right. So yeah. So we we are my friend Jason Jet or Jimmy Jensen. Uh, he's like, yeah, Jason wants to ride. I'm like, well, fuck, dude, let's ride. Call him up. Let's go. Yeah. So you so, know, COVID aside, because obviously that we don't know what that's going to lay down the road for any of us but that you know the the quarantines aside what's next on the the platter for what's next on the slate for you that, that you can talk about i don't want to put you in a bad spot but what what's next um, for you well i was up for uh i was up for a movie um i was working in hawaii 50 um mm -hmm. they do when they would get behind they would do double units so i was doing i was doing hawaii 50 and a show in town here called um covenant that was a really interesting project. It's going to be really, it's an Amazon show mm -hmm. that was about the first black family to move into, uh, uh, basically South central, uh, in the, in the, the fifties, I believe. And basically the, the racism that came with that and what they had to endure. They're actually and, advertising for that already. Like, I don't know oh, if it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen it, commercials. It's a really dark project that I think will now, because of everything that's happened, people will really want to see it. But, we shut For some sure. really just just things that I I really don't want to relive to be honest with you. But sure, um, we didn't finish it. We were shooting. It was uh, March thirteenth. It was Friday the thirteenth. We were shooting in a theater in downtown LA, and uh, I got to work. And they said, "All right, uh, the people from Amazon are coming down to talk to us." And we're like, "Oh, okay." We had this big meeting in the middle of the theater, and they go, "Okay, well, because of this COVID, we're pulling the plug. Um, we'll let you know when it's all good, and we can come back." 
So that never got finished. There's a chance I could go back and finish that. I was supposed to do a movie with one of the uh, DPs from uh, from Hawaii Five O, um, and then um, one of the Jensen's, not the guys I was riding with today, but Jason Jensen, who's mm-hmm. related to them. Uh, I, I did uh, I did some reshoots on this Vin Diesel movie called uh, Bloodshot that had just came yep. out recently. Yep. And the DP from that had a movie that I was supposed to do with him. So I frankly, I, I really don't know. The biggest problem with the COVID thing right now is. As much as like our governor has already said, oh, yeah, we're going to go back to work July 12th or whatever. The problem is, is that the bond companies that back up the, the money for all these projects, they're not going to do that. Uh, they're insurance companies. Sure. And until we know for sure that people aren't going to, you know, actors aren't going to get it from the crew, crew aren't going to get it from the actors or producers or directors. Um, because once that happens, you know, then there, there's a liability factor where, you know, we're going to sue you. You got me COVID and all that kind of stuff. Until that gets ironed out and there's specific guidelines that everyone accepts, which I say everyone, meaning uh, the actors, the producers, the unions that represent all the crafts. Once everyone agrees on that, then we're going to be able to go. I know that there is uh, a lot of production offices that are opening up. It's just a matter of what those guidelines are with the COVID and how we move forward from there. That's really the best way I can describe it. Yeah, we we know some people that also work in the industry uh, who have actually said to us that they think they they're really curious what there's going to be to watch next year because it's going to take so long for all those things that you're talking about to get ironed Absolutely. out. Absolutely, yeah. And then they weren't just talking movies; they were even talking like TV. Like what? There may be a lull where there's just nothing, you know? Like yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, you know, it's also going to make. I think the town's going to be on fire. When I say town, I mean all of the filmmaking industry across yeah. the. the frankly, the world, because so much stuff is shot in London and everything else. And mm-hmm. and, and so what's going to happen is, is that because there's such little content, original content that's been done, uh, there's going to be a big push to get stuff done that was in the middle of filming. And uh, and then all these projects that have been sitting on a shelf waiting to go. So um, I, it's 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 I got to tell you, it's been a it's been a really, really tumultuous time. Mm-hmm. To really not know what is going to happen, sure. and um, you know, I'm 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 five years. I could retire basically, right. but I still enjoy what I'm doing. I still, you know, I still get off on doing great shots. I still get off on you know shooting something that's beautiful, and um, I still love the camaraderie with everyone. And and uh, you know, I'm not I'm not a jaded filmmaker yet. I think the the documentary with OC kind of shows that. I think it, it's proof yeah. that you. You love what you do, and 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 that's great. That's also that is kind of a rarity in in the industry. Because we do have a friend who is, I mean, our friend still has that enthusiasm, but he also can, you know, there he's had he's had bad days as well. Like we sure. kind of he's never explicitly told us, but he's like, you know, he's more impressed of how they can make a whole city. He's like, we're we're kind of like a fucking army we could take we could build a city and take it out and have it be ready by lunch and have the traveling road show yeah Yeah, it's a traveling road show yeah you know that's the crazy thing is that uh you know you show up whether you're on location or just here in la it's like you know all right yeah we're gonna be we're making a location but i used to do uh this tv show bosch i don't know Mm -hmm. if you guys have Mm -hmm. checked that out on amazon yeah yeah yeah. literally we'd be in downtown la and then we'd make a location move like at like three or four o'clock to like 30, 40 miles away. So, you know, you're talking, 
you're literally talking maybe uh, between the trucks that have all the equipment and like catering and everything else. You're talking like maybe 15 trucks right? and then you're mobilizing, you know, a hundred people. Um, and sometimes we drive our own cars. Sometimes you get in a van and uh, boom, you go to this other location, you get there, you know, everything's been pre, whenever you start a project, you scout it first. So sure. um, you go and you look at locations, you figure out what, where the equipment's going to go. Uh, if you're lighting, you know, where you're going to put the lights and how you're going to stage a shot and things like that. So when you do come in, you're not completely, you know, going, Oh my God, even still, there's plenty of people that you work with when you go through all those, the scout and everything else that you get there and the director goes, nah, I think I want to shoot this direction. And there's right. a couple of people that are notorious for doing that. And really <laughs> from my position, you know, as a director of photography, you know, you have to be able to be malleable with that kind of stuff and, and make those, you know, all right, fine. If we're not going to do that, then, you know, I mean, I always, it's a weird thing after doing it for so long, wherever I go, whatever I do, I almost look at it from a filmmaker's standpoint. Where's the most optimum place to stand that I can see everything? Where's the most optimum? And even with uh, doing Anthony's thing, and I told Anthony this OC, I said, you know, I didn't do anything on his project that I wouldn't do on a normal project other than the fact that I'm shooting it on an iPhone and I'm doing it very spontaneously. But my my approach to it is the same way. What is the most optimum spot? What is the most interesting angle that I'm going to get from this? What's going to help me in telling the story? You know, so that's really, those are like key elements to the process that you're going to apply whether you're doing a $200 million film or something that I've done for free with OC. Sure. Right. Well, we, I do have a couple more things and I think uh, we probably get ready to wrap it up a little bit because we want you to come back. We, you know, we don't yeah. want you to blow your wad with us on, on, on one episode. <laughs> yeah. you know, I actually, I'd love to. If, if I could propose the idea and Rico, I think you'd be on board for this is that after the film festival to have you and OC back together to discuss the experience of the festival would be, Absolutely. I mean, we'd love to have you, Above and beyond anything with him, but definitely to experience to, to discuss that experience as well. But Rico, it sounds like you had some things you wanted to ask him, so go for it. Well, I, I um just kind of forgot my fucking sorry, question, buddy, but uh, <laughs> that's all right. Um, <laughs> I got my dog here that was uh, oh wow, hi, Bugs. You okay? Here, you want, you want to see my cat? Yeah, here's here's he Dino to go after animals on video, so. There you go. Oh, look at him. It was Dino after Dean Martin. So if you oh, want yeah, to talk about so. you can tell Seth that I'm probably a bigger fan. <laughs> oh, I don't know, man. Seth. I don't know. I've seen Seth interviewed enough that I think that's a that's a back and forth battle there. That's all I'm saying. If I'm honest, I think I do a better Dean Martin than he does. I mean, his is very good, but I think mine's better. Well, of but, course uh, you do. I go down. I would Shit. no. I would. That'd be, that'd be great. I would love to have a showdown between him and Seth. I seriously would just sit back and watch because that would be crazy. Um, but yeah, I listen, I, Rico. Unless you remember your question, I think maybe we just let I, Mike have his I, night back. Ultimately, um, we. Want, I mean, obviously, thank you for coming on. Yes, and, and thank you, Mike. But, uh, um, no, fuck my my. I'm, I know I'm going to remember it like in in. You know, in the middle of the fucking night, I'm gonna look at. I had your IMG. Oh, oh, here it was. Um, what the fuck was it like to work on at least two Schwarzenegger films, End of Days and T3? Oh God. Um, well, as, as as brief as possible, yeah, because I End of really Days, brief. End of Days, for me is a really underrated fucking Schwarzenegger film. It's uh, 
I have a strange history with uh, End of Days, but I'll be real quick. Uh, Terminator 3 was, uh, Arnold wasn't there. I only did uh, a couple of days, and it was really when um, uh, he was hanging off the crane, smashing through shit. And uh-huh. uh, it, so that's really all I, what I did on T3. But it was it was big enough to where I felt that it was important enough to put on my resume. But, oh, sure. Um, yeah. But you, you did a days, crane shot. <laughs> yeah. End of Days was... Uh, Peter Himes directed that. And my right. father did, I think, five or six films with Peter Himes. So that was the first film that my dad didn't do with Peter Himes. And by by chance, I, I didn't do all of End of Days. I came in, I you know maybe worked on it like a month or something. But um, uh, it was crazy because uh, I was actually working on the X-Files mm-hmm. during the week and working on End of Days on the weekend. So you're just getting double, double. Shutdown. Yeah, so I literally, like I remember I, I was working on uh, uh, X-Files we wrapped at 2.30 in the morning. I rented a hotel. I slept for like two hours, and I had to be downtown L.A. at 5 o'clock. And literally, we were doing this chase scene in downtown L.A. with Arnold with Huey's flying fucking, you know, right above our heads and everything else. And, uh, and, and um, you know, it was, it was a crazy thing. But the, the funniest thing was um, we were shooting the part where, uh, this is later on, where Gabriel Byrne gets uh, uh, basically run over by the train, and he's in right. pieces. If yeah. you remember that, and I was doing this this crane shot, and it was filmed, so the video taps on the camera weren't as good as they are now. It was very dark, and Peter Peter Himes was a DP and the director. Which the films I did with him in the past, um, I did Presidio, I did uh, Running Scared, um, I did. Uh, he he produced a film called uh, Monster Squad that my cousin was a director of photography on. So Peter liked to shoot really dark, and so I was shooting that scene with the body parts all over the ground. And I was going from body part to body part until I got to Gabriel Byrne and, and uh, Arnold was over my shoulder and he was like, why is the video so dark? And I said, uh, well, Arnold, it's just, there's just not a lot of, there's not a lot of light out there. And he goes, I know, but why is the video so dark? And I was like, uh, there's not a lot of light. I'm not getting anywhere. Um, so he, but he seeing Arnold run down the middle of the street when you're looking through like a 600 millimeter lens, you know, or, you know, like hanging off a helicopter and stuff it was really fucking cool because he, I think he's probably one of our greatest action stars. He's like the first oh, action yeah. star that you watch and you go, I can believe this guy kicks ass, you know, because he's, he's, he's only like six, one, six, two, but he's just a badass looking dude. And you go, that guy can kick ass. Yeah. You're, you're like, he doesn't even have to talk. He could just, <laughs> because what he yeah. does, you're like, I don't even know what the fuck he's saying, but he know, I know he kicks ass. Like, why is there no light? You have to blow him off. Yeah. Did you just yeah. ask the question so you could do your Arnold impression? Really? Is that what no, that no, was? No, 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 no. It, okay. It's pretty good, though. I got to say. It is pretty uh, good. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, that was, uh, you know, and Peter Himes, God bless him. You know, um, he did one of the eulogies at my dad's funeral. And, uh, uh, you know, my dad, whenever my dad did a film with, with uh, Peter, he would always send him uh, a leather bound book of the script. Uh, with pictures of the film inside it, 2010, you know, the sequel to 2001 with him. And he'd always write a little note and just how much he loved my dad and how much he meant to him. And, you know, when I asked him to do my dad's eulogy, he said, Mikey, of course I will. You know, he called me Mikey. And, uh, you know, his son's a director now. His son, John Hines, is a director. And Mm -hmm. I haven't had a chance to work with him yet, but we we talk once in a while on Facebook. So who would you want to, who's your living or dead? Who would you want to work with? Uh, who's that? Who's that holy grail of filmmakers you would have just? Uh, I, I'd love to work with the Coen Brothers. Um, 
you know, but it's hard because uh, even though they didn't use Deacons on their last film, uh, Deacons does his own operating. And uh, so, you know, there was really no place for me, but uh, other than Steadicam, but um, I'd love to work with the Coen brothers. And I, I worked with, uh, I worked with Jeff Bridges. I know both mm -hmm. Bridges very well. Um, I, I know both son, two of his sons very well. And uh, Bo, I did a TV show with Bo years ago called The Agency. And uh, he's such a great human being. He gave me his house in Kauai for two months. You know, I was going to rent, uh, I was going to, uh, not two months, two weeks, I should say. Um, I was going to rent a house there for my family when the season was over. And I knew he had a house in Kauai. And I said, hey, Bo, what do you think of this town? I'm going to rent a house. And he goes, why do you want to do that? And I go, well, I want to take my family. Here. He goes, just use my house. Here, call Wendy. Tell her the time you want. You got to stay for a couple weeks. Otherwise, and I was like, well, uh, Okay. <laughs> I couldn't say no, and so we we stayed at Bo's house. It's, it was, because you're gonna God. love it. It's a pot farm that got confiscated. It's on eight acres. Holy shit! It was, it was beautiful. It was great. And his son Jordan, uh, I did a TV show called Rizzolian Isles with. Yeah. Right? And so Jordan played Angie Harmon's brother, and Angie Harmon and I are good friends for many years. And so you know, it's just it's just like I said, the circles that you run in. You know, and how they overlap is just crazy how it happens. So all right, I I do remember my my actual question. Uh, so you you have you have some horror movie uh, things on your on your filmography. Oh You've no! Yes. Yeah. So no, don't Rico, we, don't do this. Uh, yeah, of course I have to. This is a, this is a thing. So, uh, I I usually ask the guests, especially if they're new, what is their take on the original film Halloween from 1978, and the reason why is because well, I love it. Let him let him answer the question first, and then we'll explain All right. it. What's your take on Halloween? Um, you know, I, I'm frankly not a big horror fan. Yeah. But uh, I appreciate the genre. Mm -hmm. And um, I actually did a short that was a horror film, but it's a whole different story. But, um, you know, John Carpenter directed that. Yeah. And, you know, John Carpenter, you know, he understands horror and he understands suspense. And, yeah. um, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis is great. I worked with Jamie a couple of times. She's a sweetheart. Yeah, so I, you know, I mean, I, I, I just look at it. It's not something that I go. That's one of my go-to movies. Let's put it that way. <laughs> okay, so getting across that the, question. The, the, the background on this is our Halloween episode two years ago. We decided that since I've never seen Halloween, I'm not. I'm like you, Mike. I'm not a horror fan. I'm just not my thing. I've seen. I've watched things like The X Files, but horror movies themselves just not my bag. So. The new Halloween had just come out. The one, the remake they did, right? And so, sequel. or sequel, sorry. And Rigo went to see it, and I went and watched the original one. And then we were going to come together and compare notes. And we turn <laughs> on the mics, we crack the mics, start the recording, and he's like, "So what'd you think?" And I was like, "I hated it. It was the stupidest <laughs> thing I'd ever seen." And it drives him nuts to this day that I did not like that movie. Um, and I still don't like it. I think it was stupid. Um, so I'm just trying to get a, like, I'm not even take keeping care. I'm just trying to get a tally of people that think that he's a like a douche nozzle for not liking that movie. <laughs> because the uh, ultimate irony is that we, we was going to be like, let's hear your take. Let's hear my take about the new movie as you talk about the old movie. And, and it just became a long fucking argument about really why did. he didn't like the fucking original <laughs> film. Well, I, 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 you know what? And this is a good way for me to button it up is I relate it back to OC when he talks about art and what it means to mm -hmm. everyone individually. And no matter how you slice, pardon the pun, a horror movie, um, it's still art and it's still interpreted. You know, whoever sees it, they're going to have their own interpretation of it. 
And I mean, the greatest horror movie that I've ever seen that still scares the shit out of me is The Exorcist. I mean, it ruined me, yeah. you know, from a little kid when I remember lying in bed and the commercials would come on. And because I went to a Catholic kindergarten, grade school and high school, and I was terrified of the devil. Whenever I heard that fucking commercial, I was shaken in my bed. And, uh, you know, even over the years, I've worked with Billy Freakin a couple of times. And, you know, uh, like being an old man that I am, there's still parts of that movie that scare the shit out of me. So Yeah, but you've you also know. been working on movies about the devil a lot. So Yeah. 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 And I mean, Jeepers Creepers was, uh, you know, um, you know, that was a really it was a fun movie to do. And there was a lot of great scary elements in it. And it's just fun. I mean, doing, doing, look, what's more fun than scaring somebody? I used to scare my kids all the time. Now they return the favor all the time. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's nothing funnier, funnier than scaring somebody and seeing them freak out, you know? Well, so. yeah, but all, yeah, all you have to do now is just turn on the fucking news. Well, that's true. true but anyway, story. to, to your, to your point though, Mike, um, cause I think it's a good way to wrap it up. And, and for once, Rico, I'm taking the last word here. Um, <laughs> OC didn't like Halloween either. CJ here with a few thank yous and let you know how you can get in touch with and follow the show and us. Listen to us on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you find your podcasts. Please don't forget to rate and comment. Podeskew is a member of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Visit their website, bigheadsmedia.com, and follow them on Twitter at bigheadsmedia. If you want to agree with or yell at us, follow Rico, me, and the show on Twitter. The show is at Podeskew, Rico is at Rance Rico, and I'm at M underscore Blade. We want to thank logo designer and show friend Mike for his work on our wonderful logo. You can contact him for artwork via email at logomike80 at gmail.com. That's logomike80 at gmail.com. Thank you to Samuel Lemons for all original music on the show, especially our theme music. You can find Sam on Twitter at Samuel Lemons, all one word, and his music on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash Samuel dash Lemons. Finally, our biggest thank you is to you, everyone, for listening. Rico and I really appreciate your time and look forward to bringing you another episode soon. Me, Mike May, a filmmaker from Los Angeles, and at that moment unemployed. Se recomienda las dosis de refuerzo de la vacuna contra el COVID-19 para ciertas personas. Para más información visita vaccinate.virginia.gov o llama al 877-829-4682. Mensaje del Departamento de Salud de Virginia.